Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. a deviant and see if you can hunt them down it's the movie show with joel and ryan we are thrilled to have you back i am joel and i'm ryan and of course joining us michael yes michael (laughs) (laughs) michael (laughs) well you look like you were ready to talk so yes obviously if you are watching next time man jump in there and i'm michael and, uh, yeah, and yeah, okay. Uh, obviously, yes. If you are joining us on the video feed, you knew that he was here from the start. Uh, uh, but the our dear audio listeners, we are joined once again by our good friend Michael Clue. Yay! And that means that I get. That means that we will have the important background. Boom. Bam. Um, all right. So. Um, Today we have just a terrific show and I don't want to keep our super amazing guest waiting. We are going, the movie show with Joel and Ryan is going international today Uh, and we're taking a trip. Um, We are going to be joined by a gentleman from Down Under and uh, I'm doing that accent now while he's not on so he doesn't (laughs) have to hear me do a bad Australian accent. Right. but uh, yes, we uh, let's bring him in right now. We are joined by Mr. Chris Fitchett. There he is. Yes. Yay. Yay. Uh, welcome, Chris. So happy to have you here. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, today we are, as we have uh, been teasing for a few weeks, uh, actually several weeks, because we were hoping to to do this uh, show several weeks ago, and then Michael had to go and star in a movie. Star in a movie. Well, so you know. thanks, you know, Michael. Like, like you do. Um, and so uh, so we delayed it, but luckily we were able to all find a time where we could uh, where we could get together again. Um, so yeah, so we are international today. Ryan and I in the Twin Cities. Michael in LA, and Chris, you are you say you're in Queensland, Queensland, Australia? Yeah, it's the, called the Gold Coast. It's oh yeah, just the Gold South of Brisbane or Brisbane. <laughs> Brisbane, as, as the Americans would say. <laughs> The Brisbane. Brisbane. That's how oh, that's how Richard Dreyfus says it in Jaws. He really goes for it. Brisbane. <laughs> He's no um, need to go to Brisbane when there is a great white shark right here. Well, we have sharks on our beaches or in our water off our beaches. So where Gold Coast is famous for its beaches, it used to be a holiday resort. Now it's sort of about four hundred thousand people, but. It's also got a studio, which was built by Dino De Laurentiis many, many years ago. And uh, at the moment, uh, they're still wrapping up on Elvis, the movie, which is directed by Baz Luhrmann and oh, yeah. Tom Hanks. So that's been in that studio for about a year. 
on and off with COVID. And um, Tom Hanks, when he came to Australia, stayed at the Gold Coast. He got COVID. That's right. Remember that. Yes, he was. That was um, was the big wake-up call. Have we officially given Australia, have we forgiven them, forgiven the Prince of America COVID? I can't remember. Yeah, I was going to say, that was the big wake-up call for America was, well, well, if if Tom Hanks Hanks could get it, well, then no one is safe. That was a stunner around these parts. Yeah, it was. Um, so, but we've been very lucky because we're a big island, Australia, mm-hmm. um, and we're pretty remote. Like, as I said, the Gold Coast is only about four hundred thousand people, so there's no sort of mid, there's no city like New York or um, or Melbourne mm-hmm. had a problem down uh, in Victoria. So did Sydney, but up here we've had hardly touch wood any problems at all. Well, that yeah, that is wonderful, and uh, I'm assuming that that uh, that means that you've you've kind of come out of uh, this whole COVID thing. You're you're he- you've been healthy, and you and yours have uh, have stayed relatively healthy yeah. through this whole thing. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so we have been uh, we, like I said, we've been teasing this. We are going to been t- we have been uh, wanting to talk about. Uh, Australian films in this sort of this uh, genre of films that came out of the the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, um, which is just kind of widely known as Ozploitation films. They sort of thriller, horror, sexy, sometimes apocalyptic. High concept. uh, Yeah, high high concept. Yeah, high concept films. Um, And uh, and our good friend Michael, who uh, Ryan and I have known. Ryan and Michael and I have known each other um, since college. So we have known each other coming on, what, 25 years or something like that. Almost 30. It'll be 30 years next year. Shut your mouth. Yep. And, um, uh, and so, uh, yep. so when he said, Hey, you know, well, I have a, I have a, a friend that I met at film quest, um, that, uh, he is an Australian filmmaker. Uh, we, you know, he said, well, let me see if I can get him on it. And so we are thrilled. We are thrilled to have someone who not only, you know, can help us talk about this, but frankly, someone who's, who lived it and was a part of it for a while. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, well, Quentin Tarantino, I think, came up with that um, name, Osploitation, and I think he's spot on. It, yeah. it's, there's definitely a period in Australian movies where there were certain films made, and I'll talk about why, um, but uh, they are high concept, but they're also usually low budget, mm-hmm. by, uh, particularly by American standards. Um and they're different to the, let's call them the A-grade films that Australia was making at the time, which includes, you know, Picnic at Hanging Rock, which was directed by Peter Weir, My Brilliant Career, which was directed by um, Jill Armstrong. They were the sort of respectable films that got government finance. A lot of government finance came in in the 70s and financed those sort of films. But then there were these other films that weren't really talked about at the time. <laughs> low budget. And as I said, to me, it's a, a particular genre. Uh, yeah, I mean, what gets me is to, to hear, you know, uh, hear talk about, um, you know, yeah, they were lower budget, but yet, I mean, some of the, some of the people that were involved in these films, whether on screen or behind the screen, 
um, it gets pretty bonkers when you see some of the names go by. You're like, what? How, yeah. how, what? Jamie Lee Curtis, what? Uh, you know, and, you know, th things like, you know, uh, and um, so that, yeah, that's, it's one, to me, that's one of the, the just really interesting things about, about. Um, well, it attracted some interesting Yankee ringers for sure. But the, oh, yeah. the, I think one of the coolest things about these films, you know, uh, it was Mad Max was the first Australian film, to my understanding, to be shot in scope on Panavision cameras. And all of good. these, every movie we're going to talk about, every single movie we're going to talk about, Sands One, which was made was made deliberately for cable, or it might have been shot this way. We're all shot in scope in this in a relatively complicated technical process that the bigger films at the time, at least in the early period here, weren't bothering with. And it gives them, especially these days where there are high definition restorations of these. And you you watch them visually. Uh, it's my opinion that these are the stunning, visually challenging films of the era, truly, in a way that when you're growing up watching them on video or watching them on Showtime or whatever, they're kind of not very special. The edges are chopped off of them and you're zoomed in and you're, you know what I mean? You're panning and scanning and all those techniques that that adds to the grungy feel to them. But you you open up a film like a couple we're going to talk about and I'll wait till we get there but they're some of them are really special they look really amazing and they're shot by some of the top cinematographers working today or working since those films it's very cool um before i'm so excited to talk about these uh i do i want to make sure our listeners get a chance to to meet you a little bit chris uh so um uh, you, uh, you know, so you are a filmmaker. You're, uh, are you still, uh, um, I mean, I, I know you, you know, reading your, your, your stuff. I know you as a writer and a producer. Um, could you, you know, talk a little bit about what it is that you, what, what, what it is that you have had been doing in the industry, what you're still doing. Uh, I know you're also teaching. So, uh, yeah. All right. So I started off wanting to be a writer director. Um, and I couldn't find anyone to produce my first script, <laughs> so I produced it. And because I actually finished a film, which was quite extraordinary for the early 70s in Melbourne, um, that uh, people asked me to produce their films. So, and I, I never thought of myself as a producer until people started asking me, you know, to produce it. And then I didn't fall into that. I actually thought, after a while, I'm one of the few people here who can actually, you know, in, in this city that knows how to do it now, right from the get, beginning to the end. Particularly when you were shooting on film and you were mixing on um, you know, some pretty archaic equipment, etc. So, um, so then I um, worked at a place called Crawford's, which we'll talk about later, which was a TV production company. And then I made uh, my let's call it my breakthrough film, which was called Blood Money. I wrote, directed, and was one of the producers. And that starred Brian Brown, Ooh. who now married to Rachel Ward, who was in, he'd just done Cocktail with um, Tom Cruise. He'd done Kim with Peter O'Toole. And then he did Blood Money with Chris Fitcher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, but he'd also been in a film called Breaker Moran, which was 
filmed just before we filmed Blood Money. So Blood Money was really low budget. It was 16 millimetres. It was only about 70 minutes long. But because Brian Brown was in it, Breaker Morant came out. It um, was nominated for Academy Awards. Brian Brown was absolutely fabulous in it. Agreed. I was able to sell Blood Money all around the world. Nice. Uh, and that got me into um, basically making films. But I've also taught at the film school in Sydney, uh, which is the national film school here in mm -hmm. Australia. Um, my students included Jane Campion. <laughs> oh my God. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, I think I've I think I've heard I think I've heard, I've heard of her maybe uh, you know yeah. um, well and I, I when I'm reading I I think I've read some articles about her where they're like she really is a you know uh, she's a champion of the Fitchett style I believe there you go. how it's referred yeah well wait for this Paul J Hogan was at the film school as a student of mine at the same time Muriel's wedding nice which I was wow. actually involved in the financing of uh, later. And uh, Jocelyn Morehouse, who directed um, How to Make an American Quilt, The Dressmaker. Yeah. And um, yeah, they were all there at the same time. And I thought, this is amazing. Um, and um, I've also worked at the Australian Film Commission, Film Victoria, mm -hmm. where we financed Shine, um, which won an Academy Award yep. for Jeffrey Rush. So, and now I'm teaching. So, but Michael knows I made a film in 2015 yep. called Fear of Darkness. I went to Film Quest where it had its international premiere. And that's the I, last. I reviewed that pretty favorably, if I recall. You did. You <laughs> yeah. did. Yeah. I was say, you better have. You better have reviewed it kind of. <laughs> Right. But this yeah, we rather, this would have been rather embarrassing if you. <laughs> I uh, no, I did. I, yeah. I remember. I, I enjoyed it definitely. You know, I remember I gave it a very good review. So, Thank um, you. Yeah. I I uh, we can I talk about how uh, our conversation Please. in the uh, I, this is this is one of the, my great hoots of my life. So <laughs> Chris and I, you know, we got to know each other a little bit at Film Quest, and and um, I had just maybe a few months before Film Quest, I'd reviewed a Blu-ray of a film we'll talk about later that had just been re-released on Blu-ray. And so my editor at the time sent it to me and said, review this. So it it was right up my alley because, you know, I obviously have realized that Ozploitation is something that I uh, adore and love. Um, some of the films were, well, one of the films we're going to talk about is very high on my all-time favorite list. So so we're sitting talking about this and um, in the, the Filmmaker's Lounge, and I randomly brought this up and I told Chris after the fact, I felt like a dork because I'm sure it sounded planned, but it wasn't. I So we were talking about all these Ozploitation films and I said, you know, there was this film from the like mid to late, I think it was 87, uh, this movie that um, my best friend and I picked up, the cover art was cool. So we watched it and it was this movie called Cassandra. And so this is exactly what Chris does. And I'm like, he's like, because I had my computer and he's like, go to IMDb. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I type it in, Cassandra, and he's like, look at the writer. And I look at the writer and it's Chris. I'm like, you have got to be bleh, me. I was, it was the funniest <laughs> moment ever because I had no idea. So it was, it was a, just an absolute hoot that 
I'm sitting here talking to this guy. You this were asking the creator himself about <laughs> if he'd heard of this movie that you liked. Yes, yes. And had because, he, you know, all you Australians must know each other. It turns out that's, <laughs> that's maybe truer than we thought based well, on the names that have come hoot. up in here. But. Yeah, was I am the guy who yeah. was just asking uh, before we started recording, do you know any of the Wiggles? Um, so, yeah, clearly all Australians know each other. Um, that's that's true, though. <laughs> isn't it isn't it true, Chris, that it's a very small community? It's very tight knit, right? In the filmmaking community, yes. Yeah. There's Sydney and there's Melbourne, and the Gold Coast is mainly international productions coming in. But um, yeah, if you're a filmmaker on the Gold Coast, you tend to move to Brisbane, and then you'll end up in Sydney or Melbourne. There's, but Melbourne, <laughs> we always uh, say it's like New York. <laughs> and Sydney is like LA. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the difference. Uh, sure but I remember that distinctly, Michael, because you actually said you did sketches or uh, when when you yeah, first saw Sandra. Of I the tried country. to find it. I tried to find it today, but I, after, um, so I was 14, 15 when I'd seen the film and I loved the cover art. It's this eyeball, a close up of an eyeball with like flames and there's like a burning home, which is important to the film, of course. But I had, for whatever reason, that struck me and I had a like a colored pencil sketch of that artwork that I did. And so I think I, I think I penned a blog after I got home and I found it and I sent it to Chris. I'm like, here, this is proof that I, I saw your movie when I was 13 or 14. I just, it still to this day just floors me. And I told Chris, I said, I didn't set that up. It was legit. I had no idea. So I just thought that was such a hoot. I just love that. But another, and it, my big regret about the show is I couldn't find a way to watch Cassandra. It was hard. It was streaming here on a service for a while, but that's gone. And yeah. it's got a few very cool, from the looks of it, international DVD releases that have it in its proper yeah. widescreen ratio. Germany has one. England has one. Australia has one. I just, I, if I'd have known we were going to delay the show a month, I'd have picked one up. I didn't know, and the mail here during COVID has been terrible. Yeah. So, but tell us a little bit about that movie because you can just tell from the trailer again that it's this that there's a, 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 an idea that is the kernel of the thing, mm -hmm. and that the visual style is sort of off the hook and adventurous. Michael, you've seen it. Let us know, and then we'll ask well, the creator. What well, I mean, I I, I literally have not seen it since I was 13 or 14. But it made an impression I, even then. Right? Well, obviously. I mean, if I was making artwork <laughs> around it, but I mean, I couldn't tell you a thing about it. I remember some visuals from that far back, obviously very prominent things that stuck with me. Sure. But I couldn't, I couldn't tell you now because I haven't seen it in 40 years or yeah. 30 years. So I mean, of course I'd want to, so we mm -hmm. can talk about it, but it did have an impression, you know? So, but again, I can't speak well to it because it's just been so long. I remember Tell us a little bit about the Cassandra experience, uh, Chris. Well, it started off with the idea that Cassandra was a twin when she was about four or five years old and the house burned down, which is the image that um, yeah. Mike was talking about. And... Um, that this is many years later and her twin actually, um, they, they all think she died, the, the twin was the boy, that the boy died, but he hasn't. And he might be the one now stalking her. Um, but I wrote a first draft and I wasn't <laughs> a very good writer, 
but at least it had a beginning, middle and end. It had a really <laughs> good opening, which is the opening in the trailer. Um, it, had it had imagery. Uh, it also had two police. So um, I brought in another writer, a friend of mine called John Rowane, who directed um, Death in Brunswick with Sam Neill. And he actually made um, the dialogue between the police really funny. It was like, sort of like a black comedy. He was basing it on a sort of a film um, with Walter Matter called The Laughing Policeman. Mm -hmm. I, I, was, I was just trying to make a exploitation film, something that was shown in mm -hmm. the drive-ins, etc. A B, a B film. Um, and John raised it to this level, which was really entertaining. Then Colin Eggleston, who ended up directing it, got hold of it and he cut out all the jokes. <laughs> uh, so it sort of went back to how it was with me. But then he gave himself a, a writing credit because he Because he edited, things. chopped it all he up. He right. He's gone back to almost exactly how oh my, my first film. I worked on about three drafts before John came in. Um, and John Ruane um, said to Colin Eggleston after the premiere, you know what, Colin, you've actually, it's like a frontal lobotomy. <laughs> By cutting out all the jokes, you've made the film lighter. <laughs> so you've actually removed some of its brain, but at least it's lost weight. So. Oh, my God. And John it. was like that. He was, um, how should I say, brutally honest. <laughs> Colin did a fantastic job, particularly visually, the visual style. For sure. He based it on The Hunger um, okay. with Catherine Deneuve. Yeah, um, the Tony, Scott, Tony Scott's first feature film. Yeah, it, it, he'd seen that and had a big influence on it. So he directed it in a way which is incredibly stylized in terms of its visuals. So you're right, it, it's, it's, it looks extraordinary. And they shot it in five weeks. So Wow. Um, but, um, yeah, and it was Virgin Films... Uh, first film that they financed. Uh, it had a lot of um, non-government money in it. So it wasn't exactly low budget, but compared to the films that were being made with government finance, it was um, relatively low budget without any stars and had to be shot really quickly. But um, yeah, we still get we still get people like Michael, fans of it, who... <laughs> I just, yeah, I feel, I feel bad that I, I, I'm going to have to try and where did I, wherever Ryan said he found it, I'm going to have to. I can to give you some pointers. It. It's, you can buy it right off of eBay. You just, you, you're buying it from overseas. You're going to have to wait. Yeah. Although, yeah. and, and I'll give you some guidance with that, Michael, too. And yeah, anyone else who it's, wants it's to really message ridiculous. us, you want to yeah, get it I in a region it, that'll play on your DVD yeah. player or whatever. So talk to me and I'll, I'll, I'll help you out with that. I mean, interested just in Cassandra the kind of end that comment is like, I think it's so odd me growing up as a horror nerd all of these years to have a movie that obviously struck a chord in some way. And then to be friends with the writer of it years later is just, it's so absurd to me, but I love that. I mean, I think the world, the universe kind of gets you to where you want to go. I mean, obviously that was meant to happen. Chris is well, a fantastic that, That's guy the small artist, world so. of, of these festivals too, where you yeah. guys get to gather, yeah. meet with like-minded folks or people with that shared history. And I mean, that's one yeah. of the magic things. And Film check, Quest. Check the IMDb. And Film Quest is. Check the IMDb. 
Oh, is it mine? Horrible little grinning boy. Who oh, what is that? That's kind of creepy. <laughs> That's kind of haunting. It's the trailer. It's the trailer for Cassandra. Oh, it is. Why not? Because it's all our fault. You're going to make a joke and play a trailer over what I'm saying. Let me know so I don't close all the windows on my computer. <laughs> Freak out that something's playing by accident. I thought um, I was like, oh, "Am I sorry. hearing things?" Hey, yeah, Cassandra's a great trailer. It is a really great trailer. It makes you want to see it right now. It's just mm -hmm. in the, if you live in the U.S. like the three of us, it's not that you can't just push a button and go. I've talked about the pitfalls of that over and over and over again on the show. I won't get into it here. But I mean, uh, Richard Franklin and Colin Eggleston were the two big names for this era of filmmaking for this style, right? I mean. Director, directing wise, perhaps, obviously the writer we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. That's the same on almost all of these. I think films. all. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think is. Yeah. I mean, that's truly that's the amazing connection. I was joking with somebody on our Facebook page where they were, what What's it about? Are you guys going to be talking about strictly ballroom and stuff? And I'm like, no, no. no. If that's <laughs> what you're into, don't. This isn't the show for you. But you know, I kind of gave him a hint, and he's like, oh. You know, and I'm like, look at this guy's, uh, look at what he was doing in the late 70s and early 80s, and you pretty much have your list. Yeah. And we can say his name to Everett uh, DeRoche. Is that how you say his last name? Everett DeRoche, yeah. DeRoche. He wrote almost all of them from this point forward. Not quite, yeah. but almost. And yeah, and then this sort of handful of directors with a couple of... But Franklin, for sure. Franklin graduated into diff a few different films that almost meet our criteria for this list, but not quite. Um, yeah. You know, and... Uh, well, one of the films we talked about him got him the Psycho 2 gig, right? That's what right. I understand. Like, yeah. 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 So let's dive in, I guess. Yeah, we, yeah. we said we were going to start with, before we do the countdown fanfare, we'll start yeah. with a few also-rans that didn't quite make the list. Um, yeah, um, yeah. The first, the first one I gotta say, the, when we were preparing for this, this was the first one that I found that I watched. Uh, a, a little, a little gem called Turkey Shoot, <laughs> which um, is just one of those let's hunt the human stories. It's, basically, it's, I was watching it, going, "This is like Jim Cotta without the Jim Cotta." <laughs> uh, I, you know, like I, I wanted Princess Rubali to come oh, out Lord. from behind. So, um, but yeah, Turkey Shoot. Yeah, it's the uh, it, it. In fact, it in um, let's see, in America, it was released as um, oh boy, where it was right here. Oh no. Um, I can't help you. I literally closed everything in the background trying to make that sound go away. <laughs> you're so welcome. you're on your own, Joel, for the rest of the show. Uh, yeah, you it, have oh, only yourself a, to blame. It was released in the U.S. as Escape 2000. Hey, yeah. and then oh, in the that's UK, terrible. In the U.K., it was I actually did talking about the U.K. title. The U, U.K. title was Blood Camp Thatcher. Not bad, Blood oh, Camp God. Thatcher. I like Blood it. Blood Camp Thatcher. It's yeah, so adding a thousand to the not, end of anything makes it awesome, Michael. You I'm not know familiar that. with this film. I'm not, I'm not familiar. I wasn't commenting on the film. I'm commenting on the title, whatever the that yeah. was. I mean, that's dreadful. Escape, Escape 2000. 2000 is awesome. Yeah, Escape 2000. Um, so but go yeah, back I mean, through your scripts Ryan right said, now. Spider a... Eaters 2000, and watch <laughs> how many more festivals you start to win. Shut up. I'm yeah. telling you, it's magic part of the formula. Boys, the 2000. 2000. And then, yeah, suddenly mm -hmm. it's... Uh, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it is, it's one of those films. This is, uh, you know, kind of a 
post-apocalyptic, not really a post-apocalyptic, but like a future, futurized yeah. world where it's a dystopian uh, a, prison a dystopian that it takes place in a, a totalitarian a government yeah, prison. If you are deemed a deviant, you are sent to a re-education camp oh. and where it is a, it is brutal and yet sexy uh, because everybody <laughs> at the, at the re-education camp is incredibly good looking. Um, <laughs> of course. Both the men and the women that you're just like, yeah dang okay yeah well they, i mean you know let's be honest and without having seen this if it's an all australian cast it's not they're gonna be sexy well, no no it's, it's not, not. Uh, you know i think really? that's something that well that's something it's actually one movies. of the drawbacks of the movie in my opinion it, it, yeah, uh, it stars movies uh, you'll appreciate really this michael australian it stars the one and only steve rails back Correct. Ah, yeah. Okay. And, and um, he brings and the Texan to just about anything that he does <laughs> yep. in a big way. And the stunningly beautiful Olivia Hussey. Um, yeah, really? Oh yes. my God! She oh, is, and she's gorgeous. <laughs> I was like, well, that puts this that moves it up the list for me. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. No turkey shoot. I mean, and like I said, for me, this was one of the I first ones thing. that I saw when we were when we were gonna. You know, uh, I mean, I I've seen. Another movie that we'll get to uh, later. I've seen it, several times. It's exploitation uh, with a capital exploitation. Yeah. Right. Um. We, and I was seriously, I was thinking, well, we could just kind of skip this one. But when we were first talking about it, yeah, exactly. Chris insisted, no, we're going to talk about this because it it actually comes from some thoughtful source material that's actually pretty cool that it it retains a flavor of, but I don't think it really gets to the heart of. I think it. It just wants to get to the bows and arrows and the bloodbath that happens at the end of the movie. It's sort of barreling towards that. Uh, yeah. But tell us a little bit about you. You were reading it recently. You said, Chris. Oh yeah. Um, the reason I wanted to talk about it today was it's a, I think a classic example of the exploitation genre. Yeah. Where um, it was because there was a lot of tax money available um, for Australian films. Not the big budget, my brilliant careers, picnic and hanging rocks, etc., which were government financed. Right. These were financed by tax concessions, whereby mm -hmm. if I put in a thousand dollars into the film, I actually got a one thousand five hundred dollar tax deduction, one hundred and fifty percent. But nice. then the fifty percent that came back, I got tax free. So it just wow. opened up all this um, filmmaking financing. Some years, and 1982 is a really good example when Turkey Ship was made, there were more than 30 Australian feature films made using those tax concessions. I actually made one. Um, and you had to finish it and have it released by the 30th of June, the end of the <laughs> This is a classic example where they got the money and then they tried to make the script work for the budget. But some of the budget goes back into that 50% that's coming back. So there's money sort of going around in a circle. <laughs> and whoever's the poor old director, in this case, Brian Trenchard-Smith, mm -hmm. um, he had to make it on a really low budget. So it's got all these action scenes. They're actually shooting on an island um, off the coast of Australia. It's got Stephen Railsback, who'd just been in The Stuntman with mm -hmm. Peter O'Toole. Yep. Olivia Hussey was yeah. Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. Um, so they bring in overseas actors. We'll see that a lot in these exploitation films. Usually American um, 
stars um, <laughs> that, that obviously they could afford but mm -hmm. were named. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and as I said, this is a really good example, also produced by Anthony I. Ganane, who will come up on a number of the films we're talking about later. For sure. And uh, so I, <clears throat> I actually got, when I was head of the Australian Film Commission, um, a particular radio critic had actually seen the film. He absolutely hated it. <laughs> and I had to do an interview where I was defending Australian films. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, With using and, Turkey Shoot as an example? <laughs> <laughs> no, he kept on bringing up Turkey Shoot. As a, <laughs> you know, we should all be ashamed of ourselves. And I kept uh, on arguing, you know, that... Um, it was developing filmmakers, particularly mm -hmm. cinematographers, directors, actors, etc. And I found out during the interview that the reason he hated it is his girlfriend at the time, Linda Stoner. Linda Stoner. I knew you were going to say it. Was in it. Was in it, mm -hmm. and she got murdered with an arrow through her breast. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. Yep. And I remember I was on the corner of Kings at King's Cross, which is <laughs> renowned for prostitutes, etc., in in sorry, Sydney. And I was on a mobile phone doing this interview and there were prostitutes going past in the daytime, you know. It was just a complete nightmare, which I had not got over. <laughs> it's a it's a sleazy movie. It's, it was a little too sleazy for me, which is what oh, why okay. aren't you getting my negative reaction to it? But it's not unaccomplished. It's got I mean, these crazy physical stunts in it. It definitely has a very true sense of place. As I say, it's shot in scope and it's Trenchard Smith yep. shoots it like it's an epic, even yeah. though you, you feel its smallness yeah. within the frame. He, he still has the style of this of a big film. So it has all that working in it. I, I'd agree with Chris. It's sort of classic exploitation. It's just... <laughs> It's just I wish it was a little. Uh, I just well, wish the thoughtful bits, the the totalitarian society. I wish there was more that survived in it about those things, as opposed to they're really just they're wrote in it until you right. get to the the big hunting scenes. Well, but it's a lot like the film that just came out in America recently, Joel. What's that? What's the shoot 'em up where the people are all being hunted and stuff that was so yeah, controversial. Yeah, that one was, yeah, oh, that the one was like... The hunt, yeah. The yeah. Hunt. It was, uh, yeah, based it's, on like... It reminds me very much of that film, actually. Mm -hmm. The hunt... Well, this is this is my question then, since obviously I haven't seen this. I am intrigued. One, because it's Ozploitation, but two, because it's Olivia Hussey. That's a big yeah, yeah. draw for me. But for sure. you just called it sleazy. So the, am I too sensitive? You guys know me well enough. Am I no, too no, sensitive to want to watch this? No, <laughs> no, no. no. It, but it, it's... it's it, there's a lot of... No. Um, None of us are there's too. There's a lot of you know male lechery. You know, you know, it's a prison. You know, there's okay, elements of it that okay. are that's a prison yeah. film. So of course everyone showers together. There's oh, um, okay. you know, there's there's everyone has you know like the the guards when Olivia Hussey comes in, they're like, sure. oh, dear, my desert flower or whatever they call her. And, uh, you know, it's all really, <laughs> yeah. it's all really skeevy okay. and and, and, and shot through the boob is something that a bunch of horny guys in a room write down and think is funny, and then they put it out on the film. But it's right. that's sleep. That's there's now, no other the way to. In it's the sleazy. version, yeah, in the is. version I saw, the version that I saw didn't have her, didn't have uh, uh, Linda Stoner's death in it. Mm. It was heavily implied, right? Um, but it was, and it was, 
very graphic which, in the original version. Okay, so I so I didn't I didn't get to I didn't but get that's, to partake in that. That's the joy and the horror and the shame of mm-hmm. the and the glory of all these pieces. Yep. they all have that same kind of. Yeah, and there even is a sort of quasi mutant named Alf in it. Yep. So that oh, Michael, wow. that's got you know it's Alf. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gordon yeah. Shumway. Yep. All right. No, this is A L P H. Oh, uh, so. got it. Okay. Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put because you guys found this pretty easy, so I should be able to find it, right? Turkey shoots uh, available yes. on, it is on DVD Amazon and Blu-ray. Prime. Amazon right. Prime, and it's on Amazon. I'm putting it on the list, right, with all the lists of Oscar bait that I haven't seen mm-hmm. yet. So. It, it's one of the many here. Most of these, not quite all of them, but most of these have been restored recently oh. to quite good effect, and this is one of them that has. Mm-hmm. Now the so turkey shoot of, looks as good shoot. as it's ever going to look right now. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, probably better than it looked in the drive-ins that Chris was talking about back in the day yeah. on mm-hmm. Amazon and Prime. I, I believe you will need to look on Amazon Prime. I think you will need to look it up. I, th- I think if you just put turkey shoot in, it will come up, but you might need to put in Escape 2000. I, I refuse. <laughs> I will it's not. It's a terrible title. It's terrible. <laughs> terrible. Or search for Olivia Hussey then, and then you then I'll you find will, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but the, okay, so next up is The Treasure of the Yankee Zephyr, uh, not quite making our list. But again, this was the first one where I was like, this cast, what? Yeah. You yeah, know, again, the cast is one of the cool things about it. It's also one of the bummers about it i'm a huge fan of this film this was i sort of other than that i had to concede the number one movie on the list to even get the show done which i knew up front i would have to do um <laughs> which i did right in good as you should as i yes. and i did so i get credit for that but um i love it's it's in australia it's called race for the yankees zephyr here over in the most western audiences saw it as treasure of the yankees zephyr um, it's a story of a World War II like small cargo plane that was flying from Papua New Guinea to New Zealand with the payroll for the whole Pacific fleet or something within it. And it disappeared in some storm on the way. And one day, a stumbling drunk deer hunter played by Donald Pleasance in, 100, in, in 100% hobo style uh stumbles across it and then it's uh, people start hearing about it because he's an idiot and he tells everybody at the town watering hole and his daughter and future son-in-law who's a bush pilot played by ken wall and leslie ann warren leslie ann warren donald pleasance oh uh are want to get this treasure and they're actually semi-equipped to do it so and then a well, really like bu- deep, bunch of kind of huh. Uh, there's one more ringer I'm going to bring up here oh, before yeah, we're okay. done. Get ready. The the main bad guy or the the main bad guy sort of not even in the movie, but the the main bad guy's agent in New Zealand is played by George Papard in a really <laughs> fun slimy country club bad guy performance that I really enjoy a lot. Okay. Um, how have I not seen this? I mean, come I don't on. know. You, all right. I told you you right. should watch it, but you, I know I had to look at all the stuff that was in the tops list to get reacquainted. I so think I if, of all the movies yeah. you could have rewatched for the sake of this show, you picked exactly the right one, Michael. So all right. I, I really believe two. that. Two rewatches. Two, but okay. one was uh, key because we were going to be fighting I'm, about okay. it otherwise. And now maybe so we, we had, won't yeah. Be. So Yankee Zephyr, uh, race for the Yankee Zephyr. And then we also, we're going to mention Sky Pirates. Well, you know, they, just they're sticking with Yankee Zephyr for a sec. Oh. 
uh, before we move on. Uh, just a couple things about it. It has what I think is still some of, if not the best, helicopter, live-action helicopter stunts in it that I've ever seen in a movie. Um, they're real, so there's none of there's not this mix of effects, you know, like even in the big budget movies at the time where it's some of its rear projection, some of its models, some of it. This is all helicopters in New Zealand, and they're so that's mostly wide shots and stuff, but it's still amazing stuff and obviously shooting in scope in new zealand an adventure movie it has a grandeur to it and a real mm. sense of you know this exotic place which is captured brilliantly on film i wish i wish there were some australians in it honestly as cool as that cast is or or kiwis in this case maybe as cool as that cast is it's so American and English and it so feels like it feels like the Aussie folks and the Kiwis are, are just set dressing really in the movie, which I think is kind of a shame. Surely one of them could have been played by a cool actor there. There is one of the bad guys sidekicks is played by a pretty cool. He was born elsewhere, but he's he's an adopted Australian or a New Zealander. I can't remember his name. Marco, are you looking at it, Joel? Uh, well, who's I mean, the who's the director of this one? You uh, wait. I'm sorry, who, Chris? No, I'll just say you'll be surprised. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, it directed it, by David Hemmings. David Hemmings, the actor director. What? Like Deep Red, David Hemmings? Yes. Yeah, yeah blow up the David <laughs> Hemmings. David Hemmings directed it. And he was a last-minute replacement for Richard Franklin, I believe, who, ah. when the film moved from Australia to New Zealand, dropped out. Joel, you're amazing. How do you know all this? Oh, I have it all right. I have another screen. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> all of this stuff. Yeah, I know it all because do you know? no, I don't have Ryan's a screen. The, Ryan's the knowledge Yeah, if you hear weird, person. obscure stuff coming out of Ryan, you know he just knows that. <laughs> I have to have all of this stuff on another screen here. Um, the, the downside is I'm wrong sometimes, but I'm a big yeah. fan of this film. So I don't know. Do you have, Chris, well, do you have something you can add to Yankee Zephyr that we might know, don't who know? Who produced it? Uh, it was produced by... Um, Anthony, I was it Ganane, 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 yeah, and uh, John Barnett okay. and Mr. David Hemmings himself. So interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what I'm saying. That's why this this is such an incestuous filmmaking community yeah, at that time. It's like everybody was working throughout these movies. on everything together. I guess yeah. you know. Yep. And again, and again, international stars have been brought in mainly because these films, the exploitation films, were not made for the Australian market. They were made for the overseas market right. and they had overseas pre-sales. So the financing determined why they actually got these actors. So, yes, Richard Franklin wanted to do it in Australia with Australian actors, but Tony Ganane, Anthony I. Ganane, <laughs> um, what does the I stand for, Ryan? Yeah. Do you know? No, I can't help you there. Sorry. Okay. I know some things, but not everything. Anthony Iganane, and he has his name behind him when you actually take a meeting with him. He has all these <laughs> clocks. Uh, so there's actually three clocks with different times. Wow. And one is Los Angeles, one is New York, and the other is Sydney. Mm. And I said to him, how do you know whether it's AM or PM, trying to be smart? And uh -huh. he said, Chris, if you have to ask that, you shouldn't be in the film industry. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then I said, what does the I, I say? stand for? And he said, international. <laughs> wow. And There's a movie mobile answer for you. He'd made it up because he loved North by Northwest because Roger Thornhill is Roger O. Thornhill. <laughs> and when Eva Marie Saint asks um, Kerry Grant, what does the O stand for? He says nothing. <laughs> so this is one of our most famous producers from the 1980s in particular. So he's produced the last two films we've been talking about. Yeah, and I think he produces a couple more here that we're going to... Oh, wow. He yeah. does. Very yeah. cool. Well, we got to keep moving. You were getting right, on to Sky right. Pirates. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention Sky Pirates. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you Race with the Yankees Zephyr and Sky Pirates, you know, they're, they're these more... Um, uh, adventure you know, kind of clearly yeah. influenced by like, by like Spielberg, like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm a huge and, adventure movie fan, and and uh, Race for the Yankees Zephyr is a really unsung, fantastic, uh, pr pretty much family adventure film. There's not too much yeah. exploitative about it. Um, yep. A little bit, teeny bit, but not mm -hmm. compared to some of the rest of these, not much at all. Sky Pirates, on the other hand, is a film that I enjoy very much, but is essentially one of the long line of Indiana Jones ripoffs, we'll call it. In There's fact, a lot of the alternative name for sky pirates is of course, Dakota Harris, Dakota Harris, who's, oh, the, who's a, the main character and it played by John Hargreaves. Yep. John is, is given his all in it. Very fun. Um, it's directed by the same cat who made uh, Cassandra among other things. Right. Um, yep. Colin Eggleston. It has a really fun, performance but they're all fun i guess it's just a matter of degrees but as a really really hargreaves and the young woman in it who isn't in much anything else is are both really really good but it's max phipps fantastic australian actor who there's Wasn't not a lot road warrior he was Am the I toady thinking? in road warrior he's the guy yeah, who gets yeah. his fingers sliced off yeah 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 um <laughs> there's not a lot on the page for him in this and he just sort of just Every time he's on screen, he knows the camera's on him. He he has this innate sense of when he's going to be cut to, and he just fills it with really fun, goofy, interesting stuff. He is a very interesting guy who makes big, bold choices. And on a film like this, that's really, really helpful. There's a scene where Hargreaves, Dakota Harris, our, our star, they're sitting in the cockpit of a plane, and he kind of he looks out the window to his left to see, you know, if they're clearing everything out of the way. And there's this attractive woman standing there, and he, he does this thing where he kind of nudges Phipps and says, hey, look at her. And he leans over and looks, and he's kind of like... And he's just like, he does nothing, but he does <laughs> nothing in this way that... It's fantastic. It's, it's hard to explain, but I, I love I Max love Phipps, and he's fun to watch in it. And it has Easter Island, and it's it's got some mysticism in it, and it's a cool movie. But it's it it it, it just it's it really is too small for what it, the storytelling ambitions are. I think in the end, yeah, yep. but I like it. Yeah. Um, so the uh, so the movies that we are going to be talking about, we we did come up with a a, a list of five that we are going to be uh, talking about here. Um, they are not like the I, I don't believe unless uh, no they 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 are not sort of the adventure film variety. No, These we're are, leaving those they, behind. 
they're more turkey shoot than they are uh dakota uh yeah you guys are gonna bring up the fact that we're not talking the george miller saga like that's yeah we that that sort of goes without saying but mad max but just you know there's no mad max in this but we yeah we are someday it is uh five uh five super fun films in uh on what is going to be our Osploitation countdown. Ten seconds. And that and now we are off. We are off and we are gonna start off with in the countdown proper. In the countdown proper with a bonkers movie. I agree. Uh, this movie, I at first he okay. Let, the movie is called in Australia. It was released. It's called Harlequin. Yes. Um, and uh, in the U.S., it was released as Dark Forces. Um, my journey. Uh, I, ha- I have had a little journey with Dark Forces. Two thousand. Yep. Dark Stop Force. it. See, if you, it would add 2000, I might have. But literally, <laughs> I, I went this. on a journey watching this film of, I, there was a brief window where I hated you, Michael, and you, Ryan, so much. Why? Michael for making me watch, for like telling me I should watch this film. I Michael's, have not seen Michael's Harley. Never That's seen the it. only one on but this like, list. You know, like, the, I, I, was, I was angry at the topic of Ozploitation films <laughs> for... <laughs> For like a good, I don't know, seven, eight minutes. You I'm were like, a little I'm resistant so to the mad. initial idea. I do I remember was that. So mad. And then I just, I don't know, like, I don't know what it was, but a, a, a feeling washed over me. And all of a sudden, I was giddy. I was enjoying this movie so much. It is so bonkers. Um, I haven't had an experience like that in a while. Uh, Harlequin, um, another Tony Eigenane film, produced, uh, directed by Simon Winsor. Um, yeah, Simon Winsor is a, a big, a relatively big name even in Hollywood mm-hmm. films. He's probably most famous for directing uh, Lonesome Dove, the miniseries, which really? is <laughs> largely considered by Western fans the greatest Western of all time. Um he he shot Quigley Down Under and a handful okay. of other things. He's an accomplished director. Um, nothing that I saw of his later successes prepared me for Harlequin either. I had heard of this movie for a long time, but I'm like you, Joel. I only saw it a little while ago. It makes the list because it's just... The only movie that's like it in the history of cinema is uh, Nicholas and Alexandra, the film about the fall of the... Romanovs in yeah. Russian, and that and that's because that's what this story is in a nutshell. It's a, it uses that template, the mysterious wandering children's party magician, who mm-hmm. ingratiates himself into this political family in Australia, and cures their son of leukemia magically, oh, <laughs> and then okay. has this sort of Rasputin like influence over their family and it's the story is this family and his battling with this uh it's an american actor who plays this political consult yeah david david hemmings yep well hemmings is the 
head of the family. He's the father of the. Oh, family. you mean you mean like the the big the big Broderick Crawford, the big polit the political? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's it's it's. Well, what what would you call it? Because obviously everything we're talking about is ozploitation. But what then is it a it, political it really, thriller? What no? Is it? it really defies. Uh, categorization. That's the most delightful thing about it. It is like a fantasy, a dark fantasy, maybe? a dark satiric fantasy drama. Yeah, political it's drama. Got, yeah, Robert Powell is. Well, <laughs> I was reading. I was reading that it's um, weird. The the you know they wanted they wanted David Bowie to play. Harlequin. That play, would have been good. Play, uh, yeah. Uh, our, our Gregory Wolf. Our, Although our, when you watch it, it's hard to say they got the, not just the exact right guy to do it. No, Robert Powell is, but, but you can say, if I, just by saying they wanted, wanted David, David Bowie, Bowie you get the idea 19, of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. circa 1980. Yeah, circa 1980, uh, David Bowie. Um, you, you can tell what kind of character. Robert and what kind of energy Robert Powell was bringing right. to the character. It yeah. is sexy and a sort of androgynous sexy. And um, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is Harlequin. It is this the devil and the angel on there yeah. on each of these characters shoulder, both. Uh, and, so I'm so intrigued. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let Chris <laughs> um, think. What do you know yeah, about yeah. Harlequin that we don't know if anything, because that we're, we were both well, just I, sort of stunned by it. I I haven't seen it for quite some time since it originally came out, yeah. but I do know that Everett DeRoach wrote it. Yep. So uh, yeah. Everett DeRoach, based on Rasputin Legion. Clearly, yeah. Um, Simon Winsor, you mentioned Lonesome Dove, but he also directed one of my favourite family films, Free Willy. Yeah, it's a good one. Ah, oh, he, oh, wow, yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Yep. And of course, the producer was Anthony Iganane, who again <laughs> does a fantastic deal for International with mm -hmm, Robert yeah. Powell, who was in Jesus of Nazareth. Yep, which, um, most probably his most famous, famous for that. Although did he play Jesus in that? Yeah, yes. And then I will he plays always... the Harlequin. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah. kind of yeah. This funky. mystical, in fact, in fact, well, you meet him initially as a clown at this children's birthday party, but like <laughs> then the first time you see him, he's in flowing robes. Oh my and god! And he sort of okay. appears through this window. Um, yeah, it, um, it's it's visually wild. It's it's oh. it, an interesting movie on this list too because all these movies, to one degree or another have this sort of dangers of the savage outback and how do you survive in nature and you know what I mean? Yeah. How do you survive cut off from civilization? This film could have been made in Miami or Santa Barbara. It has a very rich, yep. not urban, but a very rich like coastal life that's presented in it is, is different. It, it's a rich social like soap opera like world and that makes it really really unique and it's based on uh it's sort of ba uh, like a lot of DeRoche's pieces as I read more and more about him and his work he he's inspired by these real events and he twists them into these crazy fantasies so this isn't really inspired by a real event but there was this real plane crash with this real politician that died in the ocean and he sort of took that and turned it into this conspiracy. So the the movie, even though it lacks the novelty deaths, the movie that it most resembles is The Omen. Yeah. 
Arlen, uh, to me, oh. in structure, it it, yeah. it 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 is about this. There's this weird corrupting ambition in this very powerful family that, and there's this sense of fate and destiny to the whole thing. And it, this sounds like a kitchen sink. Like, well, there's the story of Rasputin everything. and the Romanovs are, is crazy, and this hits and builds to a climax that is very much inspired by mm-hmm. how that relationship ended and it, it's it's exciting it's very very cool and man the guy all of them are so good joel you may be, be getting to this what are our favorite bits and bobs of it my, but i'll just say my favorite sequence in all of harlequin is there's this montage in the middle of it i don't even know how to describe it it's 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 like it's yeah. like a courtship of Eddie's father montage really where they just is. are walking in the park and everybody's falling in love with Harlequin and he's playing framed. games with the child and but it's just still shots. <laughs> it's a series of still shots played to this song, this cheesy song. Yeah, this, it's this, yeah, this sort of um, I don't know, Captain and Tennille type, you know. <laughs> Uh, I'll never and fall even, in love again, sort of thing. Um, uh, yeah, with the woman, uh, Carmen Duncan, who again, yeah. it, it, uh, uh, stunning, yeah, stunningly yeah, yeah. beautiful woman. Well, and um, and what's great about her, Hemmings too, but Hemmings is he's got it easy because he's playing his stock and trade character in this. She's got to play the sort of emotional reality of all this. She's got to appear on stage with a crazy clown or a kid in just about every scene. You know, she's, she kid. really... Let's do- go ahead and... I, a crazy kid. Yes. That kid is... Right. The third... Bonkers. Her and third character might as well have been voice. a monkey because she's yeah. got to hold the screen with all this nutso craziness. Yeah. She does a really, really good job, so... Um, yeah, it's... It's wild, uh, it's man. So, you got to see yeah, Harlequin, Michael. You'll love it. Um, yeah, please. Well, or the, hate the, it. The, either the way. The fascinating thing about it is that as I'm listening to all of this, frankly, bat uh, mm-hmm. description, I'm like, I don't have a clue what it's about. I like, I was like, don't talk too much. I don't want spoilers, but I don't have a clue. Yeah. And the I more, an idea. The and more I sit and here is, telling you what it's about, the less you'll understand it. It's that mm-hmm. kind of story. Oh, yeah, and, and here's what I, you know, and, and what I would say, it, it is it is weird, and I'll try to dance around this as to not, but like Ryan said, Carmen, uh, Carmen Duncan as the wife is doing all the heavy lifting in the show, uh, in, in the movie. Um, and, you know, and... and, and it, it in keeping it grounded thing. in some kind of reality, just so you mm-hmm. can get from one scene to the next, yes. And then... And then in the, you know, at the beginning of the third act, she leaves. And, and we're like, wait, what? I thought that, that this was the story. And the, when you come to find out a whole different story really is the A story all along. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, 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 it's so crazy. It's fun. <laughs> it, they really feel like they were unhinged and felt like they could, to do anything they wanted in the, when they were making it, and it, it you feel that there's a scene that scene that it, Harlequin's most famous for. So I don't want to ruin the context of it because it's not quite what it sounds like. But there's a scene where our magical character is holding the little kid like off the mm-hmm. side of a cliff, and the the way that is shot, mm-hmm. it, it it's a terrifying scene. I don't know how to quite explain it, but it it. It, it it feels real and it very much was real. They were out on this precipice and they had all this safety involved. But where we wouldn't even attempt something like that today, you wouldn't, mm-hmm. you'd just, you'd fake it, you'd green screen it or whatever. This feels like you, it, real in a way you can't fake it. 
and it's also a psychological, psychologically sort of uh, complicated scene as well, which makes it even better. It's not a typical cliffhanging moment. It's something else entirely, and that's what's exciting about it. So it's interesting. What's your I will say right now, Michael. This? Yeah, your face right now is how I looked the entire film <laughs> up until I got to the face that uh, that Chris was just making, which was like this delightful, this delightful <laughs> smile of, oh yeah. Is that your experience with it, Chris? I mean, do you do you find the same joys as even though it's, it sounds so offbeat to me? Well, I, well, I think it, in these sort of films, there are always moments which you go, wow, this is amazing. How on earth did they do that? Or why did they do that? <laughs> yeah. so, um, and, well, what crazy thought. My experience is with Everett de Roach. I met him a, a number of times um, and I met him while he was actually writing the next movie we're going to talk about. But um, he used to write really quickly and he'd churn out a first draft and the producers would say, oh, we love it, we're going to go off and make it. And then he'd go on to something else. If you look at his credits on IMDb, you'll see he's got about 127 writing credits, which is television, uh, feature films, etc. So he used to, um, and this could have been one of those uh, instances where he's written it really quickly and suddenly it's gone into production. Wow. So there hasn't been time to <laughs> work out what it's about. Is it about <laughs> Duncan or is it about uh, the corruption or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a script um, for Tony Ganane um, called Centerfold, it was called at the time. It eventually got made as Snapshot with 2000. It got made as Snapshot 2000. <laughs> <laughs> it would have done better. Um, <laughs> Simon Windsor actually ended up directing it. Originally, it was Richard Franklin and I working on uh, the script. And 10 days before it actually went into production, Richard Franklin left the um, uh, project, Simon Windsor came in and Everett DeRoach, having not even read my script any time before, completely <laughs> rewrote it. Oh my God. In 10 days and it went into production. So wow. it could be one of those examples. Yeah, yeah. Or, or he wrote it really quickly because Tony Ganane had already raised the money or mm -hmm. whatever. But um, <laughs> so he was, Everett was absolutely prolific. And he was one of the coolest guys I've ever met because he was from America, living in Melbourne. Oh, interesting. And okay. an American accent. He grew up in San Diego. He came out to Australia when he was about 22. So he had this American accent. He wore a baseball cap um, and he drove a pickup truck. I just thought this is this is a real writer, and I thought he was much older than I. Many years later, I thought he, I found out he's only about five or six years older than me. But it was like he was the veteran writer, mm -hmm. you know, and this is what a writer should be. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I was just amazed that when you read his first drafts, because I read the uh, various drafts he did for a film called Patrick, which Richard Franklin directed. Mm -hmm. The first draft was absolutely fantastic. It had so many ideas in it. And Richard Franklin would then say, now we've just got to work out how to make it as a, you know, a movie because it, all, the, all the scenes were fantastic, but it was getting the structure right. 
And that might account for why Carmen Duncan's character suddenly disappears. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, she, well, yeah, she, I mean, she disappeared. In, her, her, her disappearance is motivated by the plot. Yeah, but um, it, but it, like, to me, as it I was is structurally it, I interesting story, that the movie yeah. sort of becomes something different as it's it, heading yeah, towards. Yeah, it felt like that this was the movie that it was this sort of interpersonal relationship movie more than anything and then all but, of a sudden it turns into yeah it's i mean obviously it stands out to you that there's this shift but does it work yeah um well yes yes it absolutely does for the this movie, movie the first act the second act whatever every step along the way in the movie prepares you for anything yeah. can happen so it 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 when you get there it's not some mm -hmm. it's well, not some train I, wreck of an ending it's okay here we go you, you just know, you're you just guys, you, it's a film you either can roll with. If you're someone who can't and you start asking questions at the screen every two seconds, I mean, you, I you shouldn't even watch it. But it. But there's. But there's. If no, you get under its spell, to use a cheesy metaphor, you really. Because when movies do weird shifts like that in tone or with character or story or plot, they don't generally work. My go-to, I think you guys know, I always go to something wild. You uh -huh. remember the Don, the Demi yes. picture. Yep. I mean, that's an intense, amazing shift, and they pull it off. For the third act because it yep. is not what the rest of the film was right and so it's always amazing to me that a filmmaker and a writer can pull that off because most of the time you're going to lose your audience they're going to be like what what just happened it's not i don't i don't get it so yep. i'm curious to watch this and see well if, yeah. yeah this isn't a kind of work of genius like something wild is it's 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 a it's a, a crazy experiment where they mm -hmm. just go for it and and because it's Windsor probably gets a lot of the credit for this but Everybody working on it's buying into it, and they're all just going for it. And because of that, you 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 are t taken along for the ride in yeah. a great way. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't want to oversell it. It's a weird B movie oh, with weird. tons of well, weird it made, stuff. It made in the it, top but. five, so I mean it's, that's yeah, something. It's, 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 not, it's its yeah. own thing. Every time I watch something, you know, even if it's not as great as the sum of its parts, or even if it doesn't have the, some list of unimpeachable merits, anytime I watch something where I'm like, that's that's one of a kind. I mean, that's its own thing. We talked a little bit about Whiplash last week, why I think that's perfect, where some of these other movies that have come out recently maybe aren't. It's because it just was a singular experience, and Harlequin gives you a singular experience. Mm -hmm. What year? It's from 80, you said? 1980? Yeah. 1980. Yeah. That makes, uh, to me, that makes it special, despite mm -hmm. the fact that it's... It, it, it's, it, the, its problems are its problems, but they're inconsequential yeah. in the end. Well, I guess the experience overrides any, I mean, you've seen, I've yeah. seen that a million times. The movie's too good, even though I could look back and be like, huh, that doesn't make any sense, but who cares? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't wait. I frankly, I can't wait now to hear what you think. And neither it. Joel I mean, or uh, I grew up with this. We do, haven't been watching yeah. it on cable since we were kids. We just watched it within the last few months yeah. and we had this experience. I think that bodes well for your okay. watching right. it now too. I want to say one more thing real quick, and then we'll move on to the next 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 uh, film. But uh, it's something that goes all the way back to what, what Michael was saying about seeing uh, Cassandra as a kid. Uh, you were saying you didn't re really remember much, but you remember images. You remember yeah. scenes. And and you know, uh, Ryan, you we talked about it. Uh, we talked about it a bit with Turkey Shoot and with uh, with uh, Yankee Zephyr, um, but and and Harlequin. One of the things that strikes me so much about a lot of these films is like there are these really striking visual uh moments that, you know of, of of filmmakers going you know like because like it like turkey shoot the plot is is what it is it's you know it, we've really it, seen that plot a thousand times yeah so. but you get these moments where you're like 
oh my God, that is stunning. Or, or like, oh, or like, or like in Harlequin, you get the, the, the scene with the, the, uh, the kid over the, over the, uh, the ledge of the cliff and, and how it's shot. It's really, <laughs> it's impactful. The storytelling in these shots, it's like, you see the, you see the Genesis, I guess, or, or, or like this kernel of genius that that probably for budgetary reasons wasn't able to be fully realized but yet you still get these little nuggets of of just wow and it's not Um, money it's a lot what chris was just talking about the biggest luxury that you have in this style of filmmaking more than any other we'll talk about it as we go is time none of these films had any time very little pre-production time very little production time virtually no post-production time you know it it, it, so the creativity that the that is that either gets buried by or inspires creativity you know is what makes them fly and and this film really really benefits almost by its limitations because Mm -hmm. that you just had to find quick constant creative solutions to get yourself to the next thing and you feel well, that when you watch it well there's one thing and one, quick side note and i can ask chris his opinion on this too because i think one of the things that i've realized why i've taken to films out of australia of this time growing up is i think something about the foreign landscapes i think there's something magical and mysterious to me that i have never experienced being in the u.s mm-hmm. and you know especially you know the miller the road warrior films um, the movie that's coming up on the top of the list, all of these things, even Priscilla later in the 90s, all sure. of these things, there's something so intriguing and mysterious about the outback to me. Yes, I mean, Chris knows, and you guys know, I wrote a script called Spider Eaters, which takes place in the outback. And I'm sure that's a culmination of all of my love of this, these kinds of films and, and this, this location. And it's, I just wonder, Chris, is there something on the opposite side, like I'm thinking of like the, the John Ford films and Monument Valley. Are there any particular things American film wise that had that same sort of impact to you? Like it just was so out of my experience that it's like, this is, this is why it speaks to me. Cause it's magical. It's <laughs> mysterious. Yeah. Well, all the filmmakers we're talking about grew up with American movies. There were hardly any Australian movies in the fifties and sixties. They were, International films like The Sundowners was an Australian story, Australian novel, but it had Robert Mitchum, Deborah Carr in, directed by Fred Zinnerman. There was a Ted Kotcheff film called Wake in Fright. There was a um, Nicholas Rogue film called Walkabout, all shot in Australia. And those were about the outback. So it was really interesting. Most people in Australia live in cities <laughs> like I do, mm-hmm. Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane. Um, <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> sorry. Um, so we even found those films exotic. Um, you know, I've never been, I have never been to the outback. I've been to sort of the edge of the outback, um, the countryside, but not out into the desert like, um, you know, Road Warrior and, and those sort of films. So, um, and I think it's growing up seeing those American films particularly I remember seeing Stagecoach on TV when I was really young and just that chase across the, um, the, the desert where the guy's going in to um, grab the horses and the Indians are attacking. And we grew up loving Westerns. And I would say that's true of Golden Eggleston, um, Richard Franklin, uh, etc. 
um, Ryan Trenchard Smith, and that, and that's had an influence on a whole generation. And th and these films are all from one particular generation of filmmaker, um, born in after the Second World War, uh, up to about 1955. So that 10 year, they were all born around that time. Some ended up doing, um, well, Peter Weir uh, did an exploitation film called um, Cars to Paris. Paris. Yeah. Good one. And then he went on to um, bigger uh, budgeted films, obviously. Um, so yeah, Peter Weir, I've always, he's, whenever we talk about guys, I always say Peter Weir is one of the few directors who's worked as long as he has and has failed to make a bad movie. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not, they're not all perfect gems, but he's never made a bad film. And that's shows a very deliberate guy who picks his projects very careful and is kind of amazing. So, and it, Cars at Eight Paris and Hanging Rock and Gallipoli, his early films, it's really, really good stuff. I don't, Cars at Eight Paris is the only one that even close, comes close to exploitation. But yeah. what, and, uh, but I think what's interesting in though, oh, go ahead, Chris. No, it's set in a country town. Right. So it, it um, and um, Picnic at Hanging Rock is set in the country. You know, very, you know, I think Australian filmmakers worked out that if you made films set in the city, like a thriller, and Snapshot's a good example, the one I was talking about before, it doesn't sell as well overseas because, um, you know, overseas audiences know what a thriller's like in the city. They <laughs> yeah. don't know what a the thriller is like in the outback or the Australian countryside where um, some towns are just plain weird <laughs> <laughs> when you go there in real life. And that was captured in Castle Day Paris. It was captured in Wake and Fright. Um, the alienation you feel when you move from the city to a country town for just a holiday or whatever. But I think what's interesting, what stands out for me about these Australian films is like, I can be intrigued or interested in films from Russia or films that take place in France, but they, they have never latched onto me the way Australian films have. Does that make sense? It's like, yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the accent. I don't know if it's the beautiful people that live in Australia. I don't know what it is, but it's always seemed to me that it's it is that 100% sense of, yeah. of an alien atmosphere. Right. Like it is yeah. not... Of just, my experience. Just to pick you know? up on that point, they, they are, it, it helps. They're not French. They're speaking the same language as us, but they're not, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're not talking like us at all. They're what they're, <laughs> the way they're talking all that, it, it, you know, obviously Mad Max tragically when it was released here was oh, dubbed. the dub. Yeah, the yeah. dub just, it just sucked the life out of that thing. It's still compelling because of what it is, but but the way they talk, that it's everything. The the different vocabulary, the way of the way they abbreviate stuff. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to talk about Australians. Uh, you know, behind <laughs> your back to your face on the show, Chris. But that that's my reaction to it. Is it's distinct. There's a sense, a very strong sense of geography and place. Yeah. And yet, there's something familiar for us where we can yeah. grab onto these heroes, or we can grab onto these villains in a way that is familiar and yet is it's it is magical yeah. all yeah. of these films have that in common the, the one we just talked about least so harlequin which is really <laughs> kind of a different thing but 
these next four coming up, we should get to them or we're running out of time, but they all have this very distinct sense of vocabulary of, Mm -hmm. like he said, this, even when, even if your hero is an Australian who goes to the weird little town, like them townsfolk into him being out there, there's this whole tug and pull relationship that exists in all these, that sense of danger when you cross past the wire fence into the unknown. Yeah. That, that, it populates all these movies in a great, great way. So next up, Joel. And if you go into the unknown, if you go into, if you cross that, that barbed wire fence into nature and you commit a crime against nature, Uh, nature uh, will find you guilty. (laughs) Um, And that, and that's what brings us to our next film long weekend. That was an amazing transition, Joel. And I want to applaud you. He's the king. No question. Thank you. Yeah. I, 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 I'll do that for myself. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. I'll pull a transition out of my butt any day. There you go. Uh, all right. Long weekend. Another Colin Eggleston film. And Everett DeRoche. And Everett DeRoche uh, wrote yep. this. As, as and a, John uh, Hargreaves or Dakota Harris, as some of you know him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, this is the movie I mentioned earlier that I had just seen and reviewed bef- not long before I met Chris. Oh, okay. Um, I won't say much. I mean, I... I reviewed this very favorably. Like the message couldn't have been more clear. It was beautifully shot. I mean, everything about this film, like my husband, Elwood and I, we sat down and watched this. I'm like, all right, I'm going to review this. And we just kind of stopped when it was over. I'm like, okay, well, this just puts another notch. into I love Australian movies of this era. And the way, even this many years later, the way this movie sneaks up on you is cruel Mm -hmm. and mean almost. Yeah. It it because you think you're going to be watching something, and what you end up watching is this totally different thing, and that and that's that had to have been masterful at the time because it, it still works today. When I I just it's another movie I'd never seen. I just watched it uh, back in January or whatever. Yeah, the stunner. It's it's a stunner. It's all those things you said. It has this dangerous beauty to it. I matter of fact, it's well, we'll get to. They all have that, but it. This film feels like it was made for 20 bucks and yet it's still beautiful and lyrical because it's just a van out in the woods near a beach. There isn't anything in it and yet it's amazing. It was was made for, um, in in Australian dollars, it was 425,000, which roughly at the the time, that's 270,000 American (laughs) is what it was made for. It's an amazing movie. I just am in awe of it, frankly. Well, yeah. get get this out of the way quick before Chris comes in. But has anyone visited the the remake with Jim Cavazell? No, no, I I haven't either. But I didn't it was even only like there, maybe I didn't even know ago. there was one. It's but. like ten years ago there was a remake. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, well, I mean, to be fair, there was a, there's been a remake of Turkey Shoot as well, um, uh, called Turkey Shoot. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I didn't know uh, that either. Thank goodness. Yeah, sadly, yeah. Um, yeah. But the uh, yeah long weekend I I um, it, it is it is really great it's um, and I've been I've been reading about it here and it, it, um, w- one thing I I don't want to spoil the ending but it, there was an original ending um, uh, of of nature essentially giving mankind you know saying you know we're gonna give you a second chance oh the, the day the earth stood still ending where nature Kinda, yeah. tells us lays down the law for us yeah this original ending yep yeah. 
Yeah, I was gonna give it give it another chance, but because it was it involved animals, and they're like, we don't we don't have the money for animals, so uh, we need to re, we need to shoot the movie well differently. I'm telling so you, it's one of those times that that the limitations came in, and because of them, you were they were forced to be creative, and they ended up with something much more haunting and poetic than they would have had if they'd had their way. Well, the fine the final yeah the final moment actually stays the same, but right. it's not. Uh, it's not uh, nature that that does it. It's but just. I, I'm just saying, yeah. whatever forces are at work in Long Weekend, and it's pretty clear what they are. And at the same yeah. time, it's, it's to us, it's un completely unknown what they are. When you put that to words and you put that message, to, you know, in some sort of whatever ultimatum, you mm -hmm. you ruin it. You take the mystery away from it. The yeah. fact that this film maintains its weird, creepy mystery all the way to the end is part of the beauty of it. So I'm glad yeah. that they weren't able to do what they wanted originally. It has, yeah, I mean, yeah. And it has a, like, like some, like, uh, well, especially uh, a couple uh, the, like the movie uh, that will, that's a top of, at the top of our list. That's one of the things that I, I, I do love about, especially movies from this era is they often have that thing that, that they didn't feel the need. We, we don't need feel the need to explain to the audience right. the why behind all of it. It's just happening and you deal with it. Right. right. I, in um, fact, only one of these movies even bothers to try to do that. And it, it does okay. But there's one of yeah. these where that there's a proper conspiracy that is ultimately unveiled and it will get to it. But all the rest of them, it's like it is that and that ambiguity is powerful. And we, mm -hmm. We absolutely do not embrace it in our storytelling these days in a no. way that these people were forced to, but did, I think, in an elegant and compelling way, which is mm -hmm. uh, it's what's awesome about especially this film, but all of them, really. Real quick before we get Chris's thoughts on it, I j just in case, uh, you know, as uh, audience members, uh, you know, listeners haven't. Yeah, uh, haven't we didn't seen really this. set it up very well. Yeah, it's, it's a couple. They go on a trip to the beach. And they are, you know, they kind of, they're throwing cigarette butts everywhere. And, and you know, they're just real. They're, they're being just, typical humans. They're yeah. being humans. Um, uh, uh, to, they're and, being and, disrespectful of their environment. Yeah. And, Not because they're the evil, just because they're thoughtless. Yeah. And the environment says, nah, -uh. Not uh -huh. today, and and then um, and then as we are fond of saying, the three of us, uh, Chris doesn't know this, but we like to say, and then have have a have a yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, So uh, yeah, so uh, long weekend, Chris. What are your thoughts on long weekend? Well, I love this movie. Um, I sound like a critic now. Written by <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yeah, written by Everett DeRoach, who I've explained I'm a great fan of. He actually uh, told me the story before it was made um, in the cafeteria at Crawford's Productions. I thought you were going to say around a campfire. <laughs> <laughs> that would have That's where I thought he was super cool because <laughs> I just love the idea that they trash um, their environment and that they're a yuppie couple yep. and that the environment fights back. But there's a twist which... Um, Towards the end. Keeping so, to ourselves, yeah. And, and so we were all working at Crawford's. Everett DeRoach was, I was, uh, he was a senior writer. I was a trainee writer. Uh, Colin Eggleston had uh, directed one of their TV shows. He directed this, of course. Um, and it stars John Hargraves, who was in Sky Pirates. 
but also Bryony Betts, who was in Cassandra mm -hmm. and was in Long Weekend, obviously, and it was Colin Eggleston's wife. But she was an experienced television director, sorry, television actress. Um, so I just loved it. I just yeah. thought the concept was fantastic. The visuals, um, uh, I'm just checking. Yes, they were shot, it was shot by Vince Morton, who also shot, um, what are we calling it, Treasure? Treasure of the Race Four. Treasure or Yankee Zephyr. The Yankee that Zephyr. Zephyr. Yankee that, Zephyr that 2000. Yankee. Yeah, Yankee Zephyr, the Yankee 2000. Zephyr. Yeah. Yes. But he also shot the next film we're talking about. Yeah, let's move on to, let's go ahead and move on Sounds to like Road a, Games. Sounds like time for a segue. Yeah, let's move on to Road Games. Um, it is, uh, now, the, I, I will admit that Road Games, what I love is that it's, some, some list it as Road Games, and others yeah. just listed it as Road, road Games. games. <laughs> um, I, I will admit this is one I have not seen, so oh, I don't know Joel. Road Games. Um, but we have this is another Richard Franklin and another uh, screenplay by Everett DeRoche. Um, and, this uh, let me I, I got to talk because go, I go, yeah. ahead, I only Michael. saw this years ago and for again, the first time. Another bonkers like cast of yeah like this was one where like Stacy Teach yeah Jamie Lee Kerr, okay yeah, yeah. so it, that's why I'm like I haven't seen it I probably I, I don't know why I have no excuse. Pretty typical uh, of what jamie lee was doing at the time it's uh, oh, definitely yeah. it's right up her alley definitely a step a, a, to the aside of what stacy keach had been up to so I mean, yeah he's he's the guy who's the sort of fish out of water at least within the storytelling itself but he's great well, in it's, it it's a great it's it we revisited it before we were supposed to do our original show date and i hadn't seen it in probably 20 something years and i was just monumentally impressed with this like everything about it I think what the big joy is, is Keech's character and the way he talks to himself and yeah, quotes, yeah. you know, literary figure. It's like, it was so oddball, but everything about it, all the kind of Lynchian random characters that you just kind of come across. Yep. And then sometimes you see him again, sometimes you don't. In this case, I'm thinking about the, the red haired woman that rides with him for a while. And it, I, and it's it's actually a very the, the um, family that they're yeah, obviously on parallel the guy with the together. boat but the <laughs> right. movie held up for me as being very terrifying like it it held yeah. up really well like I was very on edge for a lot of it and having you know seen it years ago I remembered enough of it but it's just a it's a road movie which when, of course, when you watch this from yeah. the video store as a kid it's a certain kind of movie it has this incredibly uh provocative poster art that seems to have nothing to do with the movie it's like a yeah. science fiction novel in that way it's got it doesn't have spaceships battling and stuff when there's no spaceship battle in the book but but it it has this just sort of sexy very exploitive thing and then when you join no. stacy keach on his journey you're like so the road games are really like you know, name, you saw something like this. It's all this fun stuff. Yeah. It's, just, it's just family trip stuff, basically. But seeing it, and I've stressed this at the beginning, I'll stress it again here and, and for the next movie more than any of them, um, seeing it in widescreen for the first time, yes. it's a whole different film. Yes. It It's just a totally different film. When you watch Escape from New York 
on Sunday night at the movies, when you're a kid, it's your the, the story, you buy into it, you go it around. When you watched it on DVD for the first time, when they put those black bars on the top and bottom so that you were seeing the whole thing, you realized how even that B-movie trash is visually powerful and stunning, and there's all yeah. this incredible composition and lighting and things that you just can't get when you're only seeing half the image. Uh, Road Games... It improves the most of any movie on this list, I think, by that because it—it's the wide open spaces. That's what it's all about. That spookiness of being isolated well, out there. It's funny you say that because I think that is a big part of this last experience a couple, you know, months ago when I rewatched it. But I was—it's—I think you guys know this about me. I mean, visuals, yes, that's not my forte. I mean, I go for storytelling and character, and I was just blown away by the beautiful way their relationship came together um sure. and it wasn't pushy it wasn't lecherous because he's got 30 years on her right it just i just i was so impressed with the fact that i i was 100 on board with you people and you know how hard that is for me to commit to people in film because you mm -hmm. never the writers never get it right so it's like let me and i i i love these people i love this guy and so you felt for them that whole time and and i think that's what also lifts up the terror for me because I really did like these guys. Don't let anything happen to Hitch. Mm -hmm. You know, she's awesome. Let's don't do it. You know, I, I was just majorly impressed. And I don't think Elwood, my husband, I think this was his first time that we just saw it. And he was, he was Gaga. Like, hmm. how have I not seen this? He's hard to impress. Yeah. He is. Yeah. That's, that's saying something. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I love road games. Like I'll shut up now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, expert panelist, road games. What do you got? Oh, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you. <laughs> well, I have something. Um, Richard Franklin, who we know directed this, was inspired by Hitchcock. He was obviously he met Hitchcock. They'd become friends uh, when Richard went uh, to America. Yeah, I didn't know that either. But that this, I get, I feel the Hitchcock influence in Certainly. the whole thing for sure. Yeah. Uh, so. He actually wanted to do rear window set in the outback. So if you think about uh, it, <laughs> um, of course, he's stuck in a truck. He's seeing things going on around him, all the different people in different apartments, except you're on the road. Yeah. And he sees, well, he starts to suspect there's been a murder. Um, so the story was written by Richard Franklin and Everett DeRoach. And then Everett DeRoach, who was so good at dialogue, wrote the dialogue that you're responding to. Um, but it didn't do well in Australia. It was interesting. When it came out in 1981, it was made, um, there was a lot of flack about Stacey Keach playing an Australian or playing an American truck right. driver going from Melbourne across the Nullarbor Desert right. to Perth. And on the way, he meets a hitchhiker who happens to be James American. Lynch. Yeah. And there's a dialogue scene in it where poor old Everett had to write where she tries to explain what, what she's doing as an American in the middle of the Australian <laughs> outback by herself. Mm -hmm. um, and her father was an ambassador. Yeah. yeah ambassador or something i bought it chris i bought it <laughs> it's not so much that you buy it i think you don't care you're just yeah, like you're okay right. let's get this 
exposition out of the way and then we're back on track basically on track. <laughs> but i loved it because um obviously i was a fan of everett and richard and um i think the cinematography when i saw it on the big i was lucky enough to see it on the big screen when it was released <laughs> it was just extraordinary um and so, so is mad max which obviously we're not talking about but those cinematographers they just took risks all the time so they'd be on the back of motorbikes. They'd be on, you know, standing up, um, look out a window of a car, doing all those yeah. shots, and um, hanging off the uh, edge of a cliff in a harness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. they were very gung ho, um, and it turned out you actually, you know, it felt like you were driving across the Nullarbor. I've never driven across the Nullarbor Desert. It takes three days. Um, and I think what it captured is the people you sort of meet on the way and that feeling. But when you think about Rear Window, you can see yeah, that's Rear Window as a road movie. Who yep. would have thought of that? Yeah. It's uh, very the story, I don't know if this is true or not. The story that, that I, I've read about it is that Richard Franklin gave uh, DeRoche uh, a copy of the script of Rear Window just as an example of how he wanted the script typed. Yeah. What he wanted the script <laughs> to look like. Oh, my and, God wrote uh, and DeRoche, uh, you know, read it and was like, <laughs> remade, let's do this, but put it in a car or, yeah. or, you know, let's put it on the road. I mean, let's put it on, let's put it in moving vehicles. Um, and, and then there, that's where it, like, and then it took off from there. Um, it's great. It's yeah, got I, an ingenious kind of final confrontation, I think, unlike anything I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Um, the drive through the city and yeah, yeah. Stuck. It, it, yeah. it, by by the time you're back in the city, uh, the city still feels you still feel helpless, and it's yeah. very well done in that way. And yeah, it's a yeah. It, road games Chris, is a fun one for sure. Yeah, Maybe the most Chris said, outright know, with, fun on this list. Yeah, yeah. How I, what Chris said about um, these movies, uh, you know, most of these movies being made not for Australian audiences. Uh, you know that this one is you know Jamie Lee Curtis. They had cast an Australian actress, but then the U.S. distributors was like, "No, we need an American. We need an American uh, in here." So, and that's how I like Jamie Lee Curtis. Him. But I, I feel the same way about Yankee Zephyr, which I really, really like. But I just like, you know, or Donald Pleasance, who is he's goofy in it and over the top, like he typically is. But so yeah, it's hard to say after the fact. Oh, replace Donald Pleasance with with an Australian, but it well, it just feels like. Surely yeah. there's a guy who could have done that part with yeah, more have, authenticity. Uh, Australian actress Lisa Pierce. I don't know if you have any, uh, you know, Lisa Pierce, who, who she is. She was the one who was originally cast and then replaced by Jamie Lee Curtis, which, and I, you know, which I, I find this interesting that it did, it caused one of the early rifts uh, between the actors unions in, uh, yeah. in the U S and in Australia, because the actors union in Australia was like, uh, uh, you know, like, no, <laughs> no, we have we want to use our you know Australian talent. Oh, yes, that should and, be. Uh, and uh, ultimately, uh, you know, the US distributors are like, if I add another zero to the check, will you <laughs> let it happen then? And they're like, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think it's one of Jamie Lee's er better early performances because you know it's not Laurie Strode who's just kind of a plain Jane Wallflower. I like that Hitch is flirtatious, she's goofy. And I think it's just a, it plays more into what I understand Jamie Lee to be like, as far as sure. Um, it's just a very goofy, fun her, role. Her she, natural quirkiness comes yes, across in exactly. that character that's, yeah. much more than in some of the other. 
and, more actorly performances for I. And I think one of the things that's magical about road games is obviously we've pointed out that I love the Australian films of this era, but I am a sucker for road movies. Oh, yeah. Like they are a love and to have these two magical things plus a scream, a legitimate scream queen. I mean, this movie, I, I think when I watched it recently, I made the connection, like, how is this not somehow larger part of my film vernacular? How is this not in my top list? Because it's just, it's so perfectly what I like. Got all the pieces of the puzzle in it, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Michael, you reminded me what her name is in the film. Hitch? Yeah. yeah. Hitch, ah, duh, jeez. Oh, yeah. I did Yep. There you go. Okay. I see what they Shut up, there. Chris. Stop making me look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, so uh, Everett DeRoche, he's writing, uh, he's writing about uh, nature striking back. He's writing about, uh, comp, you know, hitchhiking or, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, dangerous road goings on, Hitchcock on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> clearly the next step or not maybe not the next step but clearly to fill to round out things you need a giant boar yeah that's just gonna destroy people um and that seems to be that is to me that's the natural progression of of life um sure that's the way doubt. i look at things yeah so the next movie uh is razorback razorback oh, you gotta say razorback. it like chris haywood says razorback it yeah uh, I, I revisited with... this two nights ago because I hadn't seen it in, a, again, a bajillion years. Uh -huh. I remember very vividly, though, um, some of the imagery from this from well, way mostly back Mostly Gregory when... Harrison, I think, was probably the oh, imagery well... you're remembering for this. <laughs> My word. <laughs> I'd forgotten that he's, like, shirtless in this. Both Ooh. Elwood and I are just like, well, this movie's the best movie ever made. So, <laughs> um, but it's, it's Razor, Razorback's giving you the vapors. It is, it is. But what I know, my big thing is like I visually it's it continued to mm. blow my mind. I'm it, like the this the movie obviously walking through. This was Duran Duran video maker Russell yeah. Mulcahy, most most famous at that time for making the very cinematic Hungry Like the Wolf video, right? Um, and this was his first cinema fe feature film. And this film and Highlander a couple years later, uh, they both feel like a guy who thinks they're going to stop letting him make movies at any second. He's li literally <laughs> throwing everything but the kitchen sink in every scene. Um, it's it's off the charts stylistically in a way that doesn't always serve the story, to be fair. But it, well, there's not but much story. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> that doesn't help either. But it... The, the joy of the filmmaking is it, you feel it. it mm. Let's try anything. Yeah. Anything anybody can think of, we'll figure it out and we'll do it. It, it has that <laughs> sort of go for broke feeling that I, I, I like about, is what I like about both films. Just the foggy, weird. Oh my God. You know, the cover of it with the, the, the cover of this one compared to Road Games is similar by a similar kind of artist, but it's this very classy, you know, the Razorback sort of in looming over the thing like Darth Vader's helmet, you know, in the Empire Strikes Back poster. Um, but you can't quite make out the details. It's in the shadows. Thank God. Yeah. It's mostly in the shadows. That's works great. It's, it's jaws of the outback basically in that way. Um, and then, but then the other thing that it needs, it's got the lone tree in the wide landscape and the little truck with the headlights in the mist 
the headlights getting picked up by the dust and the dirt and the wind or whatever. And it, the he it's headlights. It's all this natural lighting things glowing in the dark in these magical, mystical, weird music video sort of ways. It's this kinetic editing. Dean Semler's lighting is yeah. just off the charts. Yeah. Cool. So there's nothing about this film, even though there's parts of it that are gross. And, and apparently the, the attack... The very famous attack in the car of, of who we think is our hero when you're starting to watch the movie. Right. This um, American woman reporter, apparently it was toned down to, on two or three different tries to get it R-rated, essentially. There's apparently an off-the-hook, bloody, violent, just horrific version of that scene. I think what made it into the movie is impactful enough on its own. Yeah. So sometimes less is more, I'm not sure, but... There's grisly, grisly horror-like things in this. The two Aussie sort of lower-class country bumpkin guys are just—they're funny and they're entertaining in a way that they're vicious, but they're just gross and horrible. And and because of that, they're 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 scarier in that these hillbilly guys. Like, you kind of believe they exist, and it's just very scary. Harrison is, I think he's kind of bland, but in yeah. that way, he's hes perfect. He's this perfect, plop this everyman, good-looking guy down in this crazy world with all these wacky side characters and stuff. And I'll and and uh, what's-her-face? Who's the woman in it? Archie Whitney? Archie Whitley. 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 Jerry, Ar Whitley, yeah, Whitley, thank you. Well, she's... Every time you see her in something, she just, I don't know how good an actor she even is, but she just has this natural screen presence that is amazing, and you kind of love her and want to protect her, you know what I mean? It's hard to explain. She's, uh, there's only a couple women in all of Road Warriors. She's the blonde one in Road Warrior, if you can yeah, remember yeah. that. She's great uh, in The this. gyro captain's girlfriend. That's right, ultimately, yes. And, uh... And Chris Haywood, man, anytime you can put him in your movie and you don't, ask yourself why you didn't. Which character was Take he? Take a look in the mirror and go, uh, do we, we have, well, maybe we didn't have something for Chris in this, but if you got something. Benny Baker. He was Benny Baker. Which is Benny Baker? He's the hunter yeah. in it, basically. Oh, the the the, uh, the Quint. Okay. Get him in uh, your Quint. movie. Yeah, the Quint, exactly. He's. I can't remember the exact phrase, but the godless shitty vermin <laughs> whatever he says in it he is awesome well, that was that was one of my big problems because obviously visually and with the gregory harrison you know semi-nudity was great but that was on upon this recent viewing i'm like there the the fact that we switch perspectives multiple times yeah i don't think helped the film no i and think you're right on on top of that harrison as good looking as he is, I mean, the character is underwritten horribly. I don't know who that dude is, other right. than he likes his wife. Well, he's <laughs> he's hoping. That's what I remember got. when it, it's more than that. When he shows well, up, he's hoping he's going to find her, isn't? Didn't he? Like she's disappeared or but something. But that's what I'm saying. He has no other. We don't know anything about this dude other than I just gave my wife a ring and yeah. now I need I've, to find her. I assume that, he's a person with a background. I don't need him sitting down telling no, his life philosophy. I need, I need something. I need something. We've talked about this. I need a little something. I don't well, need that's a, because three you pages marry of. <laughs> dude, I yeah. saw him. I saw him on the a studio lot for a film festival years ago and I. I couldn't bring myself to say hello or uh, anything because I probably would have just fallen to my feet. You, you were said, just too. Take me now. 
Yeah. 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 He's, but yeah, he's, but he's good. I mean, he's not, they, he's they don't give him much to play with, but I, again, I, it's enough that he's that what he is in this world that he's entered. It it, it it might be better if there was more. I will agree with you there. But it's enough. There's enough there that it works. Well, and he's a charming enough guy. Do I really care? I mean, the movie looks so good. It's and the, important and the that he cares about these other people and he kind of learns about them. That's sort of his deal in it. Yeah. More than the other way around. So more than the American the, going, uh, let me tell you what I think about things. <laughs> I, I, just, I, don't know, I think it's kind of cool that way. He's... So, Chris, of all the wild boar in the Outback films that you've had in your experience, where how does this one rank? Well, it ranks highly. Oh, good. That's good. Cinematography. Yeah, cinematography. Dean Stiller, who, of course, won an Academy Award for Dances with Wolves. Yeah. And this that was little a little film. Yeah. Shot the Spielberg <laughs> Jurassic Park films and amongst other things. Very accomplished. Apocalypto. There you go. But one of the, uh, the again, a problem with Australian audiences with this film was it was Jaws in the Outback. Yeah. Um, and in fact, we've got three in the end, three characters go out to kill the boar. Um, the problem is we are scared stiff of sharks. So Jaws went through the roof in Australia. Um, <laughs> Whereas pigs, I, not quite as much. Pigs, we just shoot them. <laughs> um, I'm sounding like Chris Hayward. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that there is this wild boar, which is basically a big pig, right. um, you know, attacking and people just the screening I saw were impressed, laugh, unfortunately, yeah. um, and critics made fun of it, etc. But it has obviously done incredibly well internationally because if you come out to Australia, the thought of a huge pig which I don't think exists in the first place. Right. Huge shark does exist. Yeah. Um, it's completely different. So, um, but you're right about the dialogue again, that um, Everett DeRoche is writing really good dialogue for these basically support characters. Yep. Um, the other thing is, um, yeah, um, Russell Mulcahy, it's so influenced by his own um, videos, music videos. Uh, he did the music video of Elton John, I'm Still Standing, mm -hmm. um, which is used at the end of Rocket Man, and it, mm -hmm. it still stands up as an amazing music video. I agree. But he was doing Razorback as a long music video. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You can see that. But, but it's interesting, though, that even though he has that music video aesthetic, it works well for the story. Like, it oh, doesn't yeah. feel like disjointed it feels like of course it's certainly well, like i said those those hallucination walking through the desert sequences oh, are just out of control yeah, i think ultimately if you take all the trimmings away from this you are really left with a dumb dumb film about an attacking <laughs> giant pig it, it really is style over substance in almost every way but the style is kind of amazing in every shot so you you that's that's why when i watch it still to this day i i get that it's a you know how many Jaws ripoffs are there and how many of these stupid creatures are there that are just like, give me a break? How many alien <laughs> ripoffs are there? You just, it's like that part you kind of have to get over. So that, well, <laughs> I can see why Australian audience weren't impressed with the pig attacking, but I was like, whatever, it's a, I get it. It's a giant mutant unstoppable pig. You just, that's all you got to do. Yeah, just I'm, tell I'm me sold. that in the poster I mean, and all. I'm, that's what I showed yeah. up. That's why I paid my fee to get the ticket. So I'm not going to get hung up on in that. The US. Pigs in the U.S. don't have tusks. 
like that's that. true. That's true. So where, where like, do so they, they really? are a real danger, Chris? Yep. Don't yeah. downplay so their did, danger. You know, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The well, water, yeah. the water tower damage alone is. Extensive. But look, you know, it, it, I, I mean, I what I know about Australia is Australia has like the most dangerous, most uh, deadly snakes, the da- most dangerous, most deadly spiders. Yeah. Um, all, crocodiles. All, uh, yeah, crocodiles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, crocodiles. Well, the uh, the scorpions, the most deadly scorpions are, I believe, in Australia as well. Well, I, isn't um, the saying that everything in Australia wants to kill you? Yeah. But where yes. do you put pigs on this list when we actually... <laughs> well, that's what I mean. That's why Australian <laughs> audiences were like... You shoot them. Pigs? What? Yeah, they got, got a guy who that's like his whole job and he can't and quite get pigs. it done. Yeah. The, so, pig, um, the pig gets the better of him in the end. <laughs> yeah, just uh, I'll just do this quick aside before we move on to number one. We're there, everybody. Um, one of my favorite Australian films. If we had widened, broadened this out, uh, other than from this golden era of exploitation films, one of my favorite films ever uh, made in Australia is Rogue, um, the Crocodile Attacks movie with the just it, that it that poster art and the cover of the video make it look like it's just some piece of junk sci-fi afternoon channel thing. that is a really accomplished wonderful monster movie that people who are fans of that sort of thing need to see well on that same token i actually really liked black water which i know chris one of your actors from fear of darkness is in black water's great director also did the reef which yeah. by far is one of the scariest experiences of my movie going life. Reef's I good. nearly pissed uh, myself because that movie scared me to death. Yeah. Cause it's a shark, Michael, not a yep. pig. It's not yeah. a pig. That's why. It's a pig. <laughs> it's a if pig. it were a pig yeah. chasing them down in the ocean, you know, you'd have thought it was really dumb. Aspiring <laughs> studio heads and creatives out there. This is a lesson that you can learn from the movie show with Joel and Ryan. As you're creating a story, as you're creating conflict and your and your um your antagonist, whether your antagonist is another person or uh, an animal or you know some other ethereal thing, you should always ask yourself. Is it scarier than a pig? <laughs> <laughs> and if the answer is yes, proceed. It needs well, to maybe, meet this minimum threshold of scariness. <laughs> maybe Razorback threshold. 2000 would have helped. Ooh. I told you I have an outline for a sequel to Razorback called Razorback 2 Jurassic Pork, which is oh, about God, uh, they, they open an underground cavern where a bunch of prehistoric Razorbacks have been living and a whole herd of them gets out and takes <laughs> over. All right, so there's no possible way I can. And the whole movie's about a, the engineers uh, and guys trying to, the hunters trying to stop them from getting the the Razorback Stampede from getting to the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, call me would... Hollywood producers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you get get uh, the the Mexican non-union uh, Steven Spielberg equivalent. Steven Spielberg, yeah, yeah, correct. Um, all right, uh, our final film that we are going to talk about. Uh, we have made reference to it about three thousand times in this episode. Uh, it, it is a movie that is uh, released by the three of us. Uh, I, I hope, Chris, you like this as much as uh, as the rest of us. Uh, and I'm going I'm going to announce it in the way that um, it won't make any sense to you, Chris. Um, I don't think Ryan remembers this or the people listening, (laughs) but how this movie is pronounced to us is Fortress. (laughs) Yay! Yay. Um, I thought you were going to play the video. The video. 
Uh, I thought you remember Chris how the opening credits are. That's why we always call it that. Uh, It comes across. It comes across. 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 Um, Yeah. So uh, Fortress. Oh, nineteen eighty-five, the last film on this list chronologically, and the ultimate film on the list in terms of quality. (laughs) Um, Uh, Here, I guess, just for the audience here, we will. uh, I will um, viewing audience. Yeah, the viewing audience. Let's see if I can find. And I know we're running short on time, but you got to let me gush a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here we go. There it is. There it is. For <laughs> there it is. Um, Nicely right. done. Um, awesome. Yeah. So uh, Fortress uh, again, Everett DeRoche, you know, the man owns Ooh. our, our collective Australian movie loving uh, hearts. Um, yeah. Based on, uh, you know, so b- before I let you gush, Michael, because, yeah. uh, you, you know, this, the, I, we know how special this movie is to you. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, based on sort of this, uh, the 1972 Faraday primary school kidnapping. Um, yeah. And, uh, and also obviously you c- if you've watched the movie, you know, it has, uh, it's heavily influenced also by Lord of the flies. Um, uh, Rachel, the stunningly beautiful Rachel Ward, yeah. um, is the teacher, and she is surrounded by kids of various ages because this is a small little not Australian, by the way. Rachel yeah, Ward. sure. Um, and <laughs> just to and one follow of the kids, a sort of theme. Yeah, yeah, one of the kids is clearly an Australian special forces trained uh, <laughs> soldier who knows. Oh, yes everything on how to uh that's, before you go to... michael before you go off that's i just watched this this morning because i thought man i haven't seen this i haven't seen this since we were all watching it together which was yeah. as you say 28 years ago or whatever um that scene well, that's a brilliant spear derek and he's like he, he just <laughs> he just you. looks up and he's like well, i think i should build all the spears <laughs> and everyone's like yeah, yeah good yeah. idea yeah, build mine build mine <laughs> Uh, yeah, and yeah, we, so the we film have, yeah, is we packed have... to the rafters with brilliant little moments like that's really what makes the movie, I think. Uh, so yeah, before before we get into Michael, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well, I, think, I, the, I you, you, this is in my top twenty. I think this comes in about the number thirteen of all time, not of genre of anything. This is of all time. Yep. So this movie is very special to me. I have seen this hundreds of times. Like this is a movie I will put on, even though the subject matter is crazy, it brings me comfort because I know it so well. Like I, and the thing I think is special and why it's still, cause the last time I watched was probably a year ago, but it's, this movie still terrifies me. I think it is so mm. extremely effective um, in just the, the sense of isolation and the sense of danger and um the random psycho could do anything at any moment. Bad well, guys are particularly effective. Don't do my my nightmares any favors. The happiest like, masks you but, can get are always the scariest. This movie yeah, sort of proves it. And the and, well, and particular the the Father Christmas. The Father Christmas mask, is just how how that act how it hangs on that actor's face. It's so uh, disturbing. So it's it's so it it you know I whatever they did if they adhered it in a certain yeah. way to make sure that his eyes would yeah. you know, well, the, the way mouth his would move when he talked. talked oh man but it, it, yeah it's terrific there i mean there are some things that don't always hold up i look past anything at this point that i look at as an adult but 
there are still things. I mean, the whole sequence inside the farmhouse with the old couple no. is is beyond upsetting to me. Mm-hmm. Like every time I see it, I just can't handle it. My favorite you moment know? in the whole movie, you guys. My favorite moment, and it was then. It is still to the now. It's uh, can't remember her name. Nair Narel Narel trying to save the fish. Yeah. Don't, yeah. I, don't get me started on Narel. I mean, I can, I, I, I will derail this whole show <laughs> if I start going on about Narel. That's she, Simon Baker's wife, you know. I know. Is I it? Know she, she, her trying to save every one of those fish is in exciting. that crazy situation. There's something. Again, it's it's the specificity of it. There's something so human and yet so weird and inappropriate about it, and yet believable about it that yeah. it just. I, well, I that love whole it. sequence. I think one of the one of the gifts of that film is the the score is so overwhelmingly powerful. Like it, there, well, it, it it perfectly suits what is happening in every scene. I never. Um, the score is I all Yamaha had... DX7s from 1985s. It, oh, but it, man. but that's what it kind of had to be. It's one guy playing a bunch of synthesizers. I yeah. wish it were something different sometimes, but like Michael says, it's not, even if it's dates the thing in a way, the rest of the movie's kind of timeless almost. Cause even the trucks aren't 85. It feels like another world from the past. The school children feel like they're from the turn of the other century. Not, you know, um, so I, I wish the music was different, but the, the guy who did the music is great. And he did all the work. Because the ADR on this film is terrible. All the voiceover stuff they did later barely matches. Sometimes doesn't match at all what they're saying. That's not a criticism of, oh, you guys suck at making movies. It's a, you clearly had all this location shooting. You had 10, you probably had two days to do all the overdubs you had to (laughs) do. The guy with the music had to do all the sound effects because you got no footsteps in this scene. You've got, you know, the sound is just like was done in a couple of days it's amazing it's as cool and atmospheric as it's it is. It's funny that you say that. I, I've never all these years noticed things like yeah. that. I think yeah. I'm just so overtaken by the journey mm-hmm. that I, I just don't see those things. They're not you know? criticisms. And they did. No, no, no. But the, I mean, the score I, I rises to the things. occasion and fills in all the gaps that the audio, if it were a, yeah. had a normal amount of post-production time, would have done itself. Yeah. That, that composer has to do the work of that. I mean, I'll say one in la- the moments with stuff. One last thing I think that sets up this film for me when I first experienced, because it was released on HBO. Yep. Yeah. You know, and I had this recorded on a VHS missing the end credits for 20, 30 years before they released it on DVD, you know, and that's so the this version is, yeah. I watched the same yeah, version. This is you a, taped off yeah. Of. And, yeah. um, but I think the, that music cue of, uh, miss and Sid and, um, his brother walking down the train tracks and in mm-hmm. the back you can see the train kind of out of focus coming toward them mm-hmm. and that music cue that that opening every time just freaks me out that that I music cue that's like the child's march tune that's the best yeah. thing in the whole thing it's yeah it's creepy and yet it has an innocence to it it's it's awesome i love it yeah so, so chris is is fortress as beloved a movie in australia or at as least it is. in the in the Chris Fitchett uh, Fitchett household, as it is in the Fargo uh, Moorhead college student area <laughs> of the early nineties. Well, this film went over really well with Australian audiences because it was based on a real story, as you said. Uh, in nineteen seventy-two, these two um, crazies would have, been, you know, Chris Hayward and John Waters, or <laughs> John. Um, anyway. Um, 
Yeah, it was a, um, she was only 20 years old, the teacher. Oh, wow. There was a primary school in those small um, towns, Australian towns. There was only one school. And it was the primary school, um, six pupils and her were kidnapped uh, for a ransom of $1 million. And so the whole idea that Everett Roach then, or was based on a novel, which was based Really good on, book. Yeah, um, yeah, Gabriel Lord. Um, that Everett DeRoach, I think, added things like the masks, um, the fish, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure, but they feel like um, Everett DeRoach touches. So he wrote the screenplay. Mm -hmm. um, Arch Nicholson directed it, who was mainly a TV director. It was actually produced by Crawford Productions. Right. Yes. And Crawford Productions, as I said before, was where Everett DeRoach got his start. I got my start. Um, Colin Eggleston, Richard Franklin, etc. It, it was the major um, production company for TV shows. It, there was Melbourne, there was Sydney, and they were the big ones in Melbourne. Uh, so it was made as a telly movie. Yep. Um, and the hope was that it would come out as good as uh, you know Steven Spielberg's Jewel and be released in cinemas, but only in Australia. I think they pre-sold it to HBO. So it was done, um, but Arch Nicholson as director, Everett Roach's script, and again, uh, cinematography that was very cinematic. Yes. Yeah. And it was uh, shot protected for television, but he shot it in uh, with spherical lenses. So that it is a widescreen movie. It's not a yeah. scope movie in scope like all the rest of these are really sexy. There's no point in doing that if you think you're primarily going to be on TV. Yeah. But he yeah. still took the time, which is not easy to do, especially in a rushed production like this was, yeah. it, to shoot it in two different aspect ratios so that he protected it for... Yeah. And now now the proper way to watch it is on the shape of your modern TV. And that's how I just watched it for the first time. And it looks it looked great. It looks really, really good. Really and well composed we, and shot film. And we believe it. Yes. That, the, the weird thing about the real story is the guy who got and his um, mate got captured, went to jail, escaped. escaped from, and tried it again. And did it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And the difference is that we love Rachel Ward because she married an Australian, Brian Brown. <laughs> um, and she came, she gave up living in England, came out to Australia, living yep. in Sydney. So she um, was your so she there was, was a no yeah. problems about an imported actor. And based on a real story. So yeah, yeah. The, and the kids are fantastic in it. They really kids are really good. Um I quote this movie at least once a day. <laughs> That's not a joke. There's something will come out. Miss, I have to go to the toilet. Narelle, I mean, any of these, this yeah. movie is so ingrained in my head. Line. That's it's Tommy's Tommy. line. We still say that to each other out of context in crowds it's and Tommy's nobody knows line. what the hell we're talking about. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I will line. often just say, Miss, I have the curse. I've got the curse, <laughs> and I haven't got, got any curse. of the, you know, the things. Oh, for goodness' sake, Narelle, what is it? I, yeah, I'll go on forever. I'll shut up. Um, I uh, love it's this a very movie. quotable film. Why did Narelle leave then? Did she leave because she had the curse? Yes. Yes. She was embarrassed. She was embarrassed. She's young enough to be super embarrassed by that. That's exactly why. But Joel. see, these are the things. These are the things that weigh on me after I've seen the movie for three thousand yeah. times. Yeah. Is that. She left. Okay, I get I get why. 
But I always had this sense, even as a young person watching this, because I first saw this when I was probably 12, right? Is that, okay, all of the other children experienced the final moment in the cave. Right. Norell did not. Correct. Did not. So how does that affect all of their relationships going forward? These are things I'm thinking about mm-hmm. as I see the story continuing. I don't think... Like, I, what happens? I love Norell. Norell tried to save the fish. She has no utility in a stabathon. She's, she, she played the kind of perfect role that she should have. Not all kids, not every single kid turns into a, a killer or is even capable of no that. i'm not saying that she not would ever wouldn't have partaken no i'm this, just in, i'm well, saying yeah, that the she's movie clearly okay with the human heart being in the classroom right right so, you're right yeah um, she's she's she, she she celebrates along with the rest of them before the curse comes along it's not that it's i just saying she's not a killer the movie sets that up very very carefully throughout she's not a killer she doesn't she's She's not going to be much use in that department at the end of the film. The film finds another way to use her. It's a little contrived, but I I dig it. I like it. I like that there's a, she's a somebody set actor apart in that too. That, no. I, I, she's great. Yeah. All the kids are really really good. There's none of yeah. them. Uh, they're all good. Like and I by said, the Sid, way, Vernon Sid Wells is the duck. Dabby Duck. He's the guy that you know in, in the Road Warrior plays. Uh, yeah. The Wes. Dabby uh, Duck. And, and the, yeah, the fact that Sid uh, clearly... Um, he's the only guy with the mask in the movie who we don't see his face at any point. No, Isn't right. that right? But, uh, um, yeah, or do we not Sean, see the mouse either? We don't see the cat. We see a little bit of the mouse. Well, the, One no, of we them dies see... in the snake pit with the curly hair. That whole sequence. That's the mouse. Yeah, he doesn't have a mask on. Yeah. And then the whole we ending. We definitely with... see Father Christmas. Which, um, you know... Anyway. But you don't even get a hint of Dabby Duck. That's cool. But I wanted to tell you, too, the interesting thing is that... Um, it's Sean cool Garlic, that the most recognizable actor even then is the one who doesn't show his face in the whole film. I think that's neat. Yeah. That's all I'm well, saying. Well, Sean Garlic, who plays Sid, um, he ended up being a, a rugby player pretty successfully, I think, right? Professional rugby player. And now he sells pies. Nice. I looked him up because I had a crush on him when I was a kid. That is quite an evolution from actor playing psycho, playing rug, to becoming a but, rugby player to selling pies. But the thing about Fortress overall for me is that it, as many times as I've seen it and as dated as it sometimes can be, it still has immense power. Like it still chills me to the bone. It's on only dated things. by that same synthesizer sound in every song. And that's nobody's yeah. fault. That was state of the art at the time. It, yeah. it, 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 it is otherwise timeless in a magical way, I think. I've often had a dream. This sounds really stupid, but I, even though I hate remakes and most of the time they don't need to be done, I've toyed with the idea of penning a remake. Yeah. Well, you should do it just as an experiment. Right. If anyone Whether, could. But um, at the same time, I wouldn't want to besmirch it. You know, it's too precious to me. So, well, as long as, well, it just rename the character of Sid, rename him MacGyver. And I think, uh, <laughs> he'll, uh, he'll he's a farmer's over. kid. He had yeah. a lot of experience. Oh my gosh. Um, Derek yeah, was the one doing the spears. This, Michael, next time you watch it, which will probably be right after we hang up here. Yep. Um, at the very, very end and, 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 and not really spoilers, but, uh, I think kind of going back to what Ryan said about Norell being, you know, she is not a killer. And she's the one at the, at the very end who gets up and is assisting with writing on the, on the classroom board. It, to me, it's, it was clearly setting up that Norell may be the next teacher. She will be the next like person to guide the youth. And yeah. so therefore 
it makes sense that she or it would it would assist her in not being a killer not being but it's, one who yeah, but I think you guys are missing the point. It's not that she wouldn't have been, been involved in it just mm -hmm. because of the fish, but the fact that she's separated. What kind of weirdness does that have with her other classmates? Yeah, what was that out? like when when they when she finally? Yeah, what was came it like back? when you cut the heart out? She came, oh, she I don't came know. back saying, "Sorry, I ran away, guys, but I had the curse. I was hiding under." A I don't. Girl, but I don't like, think it then, affects her at all. She's one of the first people like, in the look room. What we found, look what we got. When those psychologically is yeah. are the you know some of the younger kids are going to be like, "This bitch didn't know. She wasn't part of it. <laughs> she can't be part of this." You, you do this you all the time. You imagine some other movie, and then you just get obsessed about it. There's nothing in the movie that suggests she's not totally on team classroom the whole way at the end. She's the second person in the room when they gather around those inspectors and get all yeah. gangsta on them. You, they cut to her twice they, during that sequence. I just watched it. And she's hardcore during yeah, that. You don't did know I, what did I tell you? In that cast. She did I tell you that I... hiding in the cast and she's like, look, you want you want me to answer more questions? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. yeah. Well, that you know that Simon Baker script I wrote 100 years ago? I wrote a role for Rebecca Rigg. Nice. Well, because that's his wife. So, you know, nice. it's important. She's a good actor. Write a short film, Michael, or Chris, one of you, write a short film about that moment Norell comes back to the cave area. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, what happens? No, what happens? Because they had to been wait to be rescued, yeah. right? Yeah. So they go out and get Norell. They bring her back. What is said at that moment? That's Nothing. What I, mean. I want you guys to write this. I want it. She sees that all her friends thing. are okay. She hugs her teacher because she's a total teacher's pet, and they all conspire with what to do at the end. There, she's she's on the team. All right. Nothing weird. One more happens. thing I'll say: as long my, as the, one of like as one as long as one of the kids because she left because of the reason why Norell left. As long as one of the kids just goes like, well, speaking of blood. Oh God, that's terrible. So my, the one thing that I quote constantly, which Elwood just make, laughs at every time I say is, uh, it's Derek, you know, after they try to move the rock in the cave and uh, Miss says, somebody, you know, everyone give a, get a drink, you know, cause they've worn themselves out. And so yep. Norell gives him the drink and he's like, this isn't drink, this tastes soily. <laughs> I've given him my salad dressing, Miss. That's my line. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yep. Anyway. Yeah, salad dressing. That, that happens in uh that's weird. That happens in we talked about this the other day, you and I privately. Accidentally drinking salad dressing. That's in the in uh Dickens David Copperfield. It's not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. I, there's no chance that that's a coincidence. That exact same thing happens in the cave. DeRoche mm -hmm. obviously knows his Dickens. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. Salad dressing is. I'm just saying it's a great moment, but I, it comes from another weird moment like that as well, where somebody's. I love it. Yeah. Oh, fortress. Um, uh, I know we've gone over now, like we always all right, do. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know what? That's okay. Because uh, we have our friend visiting us all the way from Australia. Is there anything you can help us with in summation now that we've gone off the rails completely, the three of us? <laughs> yeah, poor, poor Chris. Yeah, now that we're imagining like, things in yeah. other characters' minds and scenes in movies that didn't take place and that there are no evidence for, <laughs> is there anything just, you can do to bring Chris us back got... to reality, maybe? Unbeknownst to him, he just took a trip back in time to 1994 Man. Moorhead, Minnesota, and um, was and experienced an evening in Ryan Harris's dorm room. <laughs> yeah, pretty Joel, much. Joel, Michael, and Ryan. Unfortunately, yeah, you didn't know you were going to get this unwanted experience. You almost didn't. You can't we almost made have it. it. We almost made it. Oh, I've gone back to the 80s. This is. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm much older than you guys. <laughs> um, I'm get, my summation is if you that have the one. filmmakers we've been talking about, um, particularly Colin Eagleson, Richard Franklin, Everett DeRoach, Anthony Eigenhain, they were all a generation before me. They were born almost straight after the Second World War. And they created this whole, I think it's a genre, Peter Weir, Gillian Armstrong, Fred Skepsy, et cetera, were, let's call them the A-grade filmmakers, sure. the B-grade, and I'm not using that in a derogatory way. No, neither um, we. And I'd like to give a special award today to Everett DeRoach. Indeed. Who wrote all five <laughs> of the top five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and we, how we just talked about these films, these could, these are weird, off the rails, different. They're all, they're, they're reaching all these different, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, locations, uh, emotional arcs. Uh, you know, what, what, you know, the, the inside the, and outside the, threats. Yeah, the, the, how how these how they're constructed and they're all done really really well. I I could not I, I wholeheartedly endorse your special award, uh, Chris. Yeah, Everett DeRoche is um, yeah. I mean, what a what an absolute gift um, to to have a guy that can just write in all of these different. Uh, 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 and apparently in a matter of days well just such memorable characters and memorable Mm -hmm. moments like i said that if not the most well constructed films although a couple of them are quite well constructed it's all what lives on is are those visual moments and these moments of dialogue and memorable vivid memorable characters that's what lives on for us and that's that goes back to the writer in a big big way so it's it's cool that we honor the writer today of all, all days. We try and do that every time we can, but that's awesome. So God, thanks so much for being on, man. We really, really appreciate it. It made the show very special for us. So yeah, Chris, this was, uh, this was really tremendous. Thank you so much for getting up on your Sunday morning with us. (laughs) Um, and, uh, sun's sun's gone down here in the American Midwest, but you're just waking up. Got your whole day ahead of you. I almost made it through the entire joke uh, show without, but I have to make the joke. Don't tell us what happens, Chris. We want to know what happens when we get there tomorrow. Spoiler alert for uh, Sunday. Um, <laughs> and uh, no, Michael, of course, thank you so much for love joining you. us. We, uh, we love you anytime. I we love can you have guys. You back. Uh, Ryan, do you want to play us out or do you want me to do it? I want you to do it. Okay, I, I'm happy to do it. Uh, audience, uh, dear listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this trip to the Outback because we <laughs> we sure did. Once again, Michael, thank you so much. Chris, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. You're in Australia and you're on our little podcast. We can't thank you enough. It was just so wonderful to have you here. Super awesome. Hey, um, Chris is all awesome. All right, everybody. Until next week, this has been The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Take care, everyone. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.